Hey everyone, this is Pal. I'm here with Mo, and we are here to talk about the astrology of 2023. Before we jump into it, I, I can't believe this is the third year ahead forecast we've done together now. Like, how the fuck has time flying flown by so fast, Mo? Right? I mean, I remember I made this mistake. I thought we'd only been podcasting for a year. <laughs> and it's been two. I'm like, wow. Okay, cool. Yes, I, you know, this is one of many pandemic projects that have come out for people over the years. And I'm glad maybe again, because of our fixed signs, um, it has stuck around now for two years. But congrats to us. Yeah, and it's been like a very fun, like low key way of engaging with astrology. And it's just been a huge opportunity for me to just grow as an astrologer. So I'm really glad that we decided to do this. And like, we've kind of stuck to it. Yeah. And, you know, we were, um, we were talking before we started recording about how, you know, I, I haven't been doing client work in over a year now, and Mo has and, um, so Mo, I think, has been able to explore these transits with clients a lot more than I have. But I, you know, I spent a good chunk of this weekend diving into it, and I am very excited to talk about 2023. Um, we also promised we're going to try to keep this under three hours. I think we can do it because I think we kept the last one under that. And um, so yeah, let's jump into it by first. Um, let's let's talk about what transits into 2022 will take us into 2023 um i'll just kind of list them off right now first um you know at the end of 2022 mercury stations retrograde in capricorn um while venus is conjoined to pluto in capricorn um we are still in the middle of a mars retrograde in gemini that feels like it's lasted for eons and jupiter has returned back into aries this is its final stretch there before it goes into taurus um a little bit later in 2023 which we will talk about but um any thoughts on um starting the year with these transits no i think it's really interesting that um you know uh we're coming into this year with Mercury and Mars being so intertwined with each other. So by virtue of Mars being retrograde in one of Mercury's signs, um, Mercury is going to be very influential. And so I think it's just really comical that we end the year kind of repeating some of that Venus conjunct Pluto energy that we actually ended 2021 and started 2022 with because Venus went retrograde on Pluto, like I want to say end of 2021. And that just kind of brought us into the year. And so because Mercury is in that last decade of Capricorn where it, um, you know, is pretty happy, it's going to be like auditing a lot of the things going on in the Mercury world areas of our lives and seeing how like maybe auditing in the Capricorn parts of our lives can facilitate whatever we're trying to do in the Gemini and Virgo parts of our lives. And so with Mars going retrograde in Gemini, and I think Mars does station direct pretty early in the year. So it's just kind of like tying up loose ends a lot and just clearing things out so that you can, um, you know, reallocate your resources in a way that makes a lot more sense to you. So, Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I was thinking back to how when we did the 2022 forecast and you, well, even also the 2021 forecast, 
um, we were looking at that December 2021 with the, those Venus conjunctions to Pluto because it was retrograde. It, it can join Pluto um, like a few times. Right. But um, December 11th and December 30th were the ones at the end of 2021. And I do remember in the forecast that you brought up financial issues um, possibly coming up with this Venus retrograde in Capricorn. And then the, the issues around inflation. <laughs> ended up happening so i wouldn't be surprised if we get a continuation of that starting now into january yeah you know it's interesting so i remember i think it might have been patrick watson on one of the astrology podcast episodes like a forecast but then i think we also mentioned this where um mercury with pluto can bring like revelations of some kind and so i feel like there may be some important revelations about maybe the nature of, you know, whether it's a financial structure or like a media structure. I think that a lot of, we're going to be asking a lot of those questions with this particular Mercury retrograde. It's like follow the money trail. You know what I mean? Especially, you know, as we're dealing with, you know, inflation and there's lots of rumors about, you know, 2023 being when the recession finally hits. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which that conversation's already been coming up of like, are we already in the recession? Is the administration pretending we're not in a recession? <laughs> Which, and I, I think one key difference between the start of the end of 2021, start of 2022 versus this period now is that last year, Jupiter was in Pisces <laughs> and now we have Jupiter in Aries and you know, Neptune's still there. And, you know, I, I love a Jupiter and Pisces, but at the same time, you know, especially with Neptune there, I could solely see that like false, like overinflated optimism <laughs> around the economy coming into play. And now like that's, that's gone. We have Jupiter and Aries now. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting also to think about the fact that last year there was that whole Omicron, um, wave that was starting literally as we were recording so Mm -hmm. and I think now like obviously the pandemic is still on I think we're through the worst of it but it seems like um you know the adage of being in this age of air being you know the age of also pandemics because you know we're also moving around and it's just hot diseased air moving around um I've seen a lot of issues with just respiratory illness in general. And I think some of that is also just Mars being in Gemini, um, being influenced by that Mercury. And I know that in, at least here in Canada, uh, there's been a lot of talk about how a lot of children um, and young people are overwhelming hospitals, which are already understaffed um, because they're not only dealing with COVID, they're dealing with flu and some other respiratory virus and just having all those people together, it's like, okay, we might be out of the worst of the pandemic, but we don't have the infrastructure to deal with all these people being sick. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we just, for, so folks are listening know it's December 11th as we're recording this and we likely won't air this until end of December. Who the fuck knows what's going to change in these next few right. weeks, but keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, let's, um, before we start jumping too much into the beginning of 2023, we wanted to zoom out a little bit and like we've done in our previous forecast, talk about what we think are the top transits of 2023, and then we're going to go month to month. So 
do you like I we put them in order of fairly chronological I mean some of them are kind of thematic too so it's kind of hard to you know exactly do this chronologically but um do you want to just kind of go down this list Mo or what do you think yeah let's do that so um I think when I originally organized it and then Pow added on it's like mostly chronological so I mean with Mercury retrogrades it's an ongoing thing but we start the year out with Mercury being retrograde so I think it's kind of a big deal anyway so one thing that people sleep on a lot is that uh, Mercury in the sonotic cycle cycle of Mercury um, there's this thing where Mercury changes its sort of element um, every like two years or so so we get one year where it's solidly all the retrogrades are happening in one element the next year it's starting in that element it was in but kind of ending the retrogrades are ending in the next element and then the following year um the retrogrades are solidly in that new element and so this year while the majority of the mercury retrogrades are completely in the earth triplicity so they start and end in earth signs the last retrograde of the year actually starts in capricorn but then ends in sagittarius so it's kind of taking us into this new phase where we're getting those um you know those fire mercury retrogrades uh which will be interesting to think about right and i think because of this shift typically we get these three times a year this is a funny year where we will get them four times because we already start the year as mo had said with mercury retrograde in capricorn and then we end 2023 with, again, Mercury start, um, stationing retrograde in Capricorn, but continuing to be retrograde um, into Sagittarius. So 2024 will begin the Mercury retrogrades and the fire triplicity, but we won't go into that just yet. Um, okay. But yes, our first transit that we wanted to highlight for 2023 is that we're getting all of these Mercury retrogrades in the Earth element. Yeah. And then next we have two really big planetary shifts. So we have Saturn and Pisces starting on the 7th of March, uh, followed by, you know, Pluto moving into Aquarius a little over two weeks later. So um, I know while we can all celebrate that Saturn is not going to be overpowered anymore for some time until it goes into Libra in 2039, I believe. Um, you know, we, we are still having to deal with Saturnian elements by virtue of Pluto going into Aquarius. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, we will go into much more detail on this when we go into the March forecast. Um, there's just there's a lot in March because the other the other thing happening in March is that Mars will finally leave Gemini and go into Cancer on March 25th. So that's just a couple days after Pluto ingresses into Aquarius. So I would say March is going to be one of the bigger years astrologically, for sure. Yeah. Um, on top of that, just thinking about the eclipses. So um, we still have the last of our um, Taurus and Scorpio eclipses. Uh, I think it's interesting that this year it's the lunar eclipses that are in Taurus and Scorpio, but the solar eclipses are in Aries Libra. Uh, we get the first of those eclipses, uh, I think, right before Taurus season begins, um, but the nodes don't actually shift until about mid-July. So we're going to get this shift of the nodes. So Cardinals, if you've been enjoying being on hiatus for like two years, the time has come. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
I, I've the Cardinals are gonna get it because it's like on one hand the node shift. There's also that Pluto shift finally, but it's like not fully because Pluto will go back into Capricorn we'll this back. year. <laughs> I, you fun. know what? I think Pluto goes back again in 2024 as well. So it's not fully done yeah. with the Cardinals. So oh yeah, you yeah. guys are kind of entering a sort of important um, side character arc this year. Yeah, no, actually, I think I think it goes back this year. No, it does go back this year, but it also goes back again next year. Oh, again, so it's again, really year. it's yeah. really not done. <laughs> yeah, it, it does a, it does a few back and forths for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have if you have planets in the late degrees of like the cardinal signs or the early degrees of the fixed signs, which I have both, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be fun. <laughs> Super fun. Um, and then, uh, so we also get Jupiter and Taurus. So, you know, Jupiter and Aries is just like Jupiter and Pisces is a very um, short lived transit. And something that's funny to me is that, you know, if you live in the Northern Hemisphere, like a lot of us do, um, Pisces and Aries are signs of short ascension. So they move over the um, ascendant very quickly um, as they rise in the Eastern uh, horizon. But I also think of the transit of Jupiter through both of those signs like that, because we didn't have that much Jupiter and Aries, if you think about it. There's a lot of sharing with um, Jupiter and Pisces, and I love how quick those transits were, whereas um, look at Jupiter and Taurus, which is going to be a lot longer of a transit, I think. <laughs> it is, and we will uh, have a lot to say about Jupiter and Taurus. We'll dive into that in May when we go over that forecast. I think it's worth noting, too, that Jupiter will conjoin the North Node for the first time since 2016. So, um, you know, Mo had mentioned that the Node shift in July, but before that even happens, Jupiter does make this conjunction with the North Node in on June 1st. And then also in June, we have a Mars-Uranus square on June 26th. And I think this one is quite notable because Saturn is no longer squaring either, <laughs> um, you know, after being in Aquarius for so long, um, you know, these Mars-Uranus squares have been happening, Mar Mars opposition, Mars-Uranus oppositions, like all these like, you know, hard aspects have been happening over the past like several years, but with Saturn also really playing a big role. And now Saturn is in Pisces. And um, I have a lot to say about this. Again, I was I was already telling Mo about it before the recording because um, I think this is going to be a big one. Um, but we'll talk about that more in the June-July part of this forecast. Yeah, no, I love that you brought up the um, Mars-Uranus square because even if um, the square didn't go exact until Saturn and, Saturn and uh, Uranus were both in fixed signs, they had already been having that sort of um, sign-based square when back before uh, Uranus moved into Taurus when it was still in Aries and when Saturn had moved into Capricorn. So I think that this is going to be a very different sort of flavor because Saturn has kind of moved on from that. And yeah, no, we'll, we'll unpack that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then last but not least on our top 10 transits for 2023 is Venus retrograde in Leo, which starts on July 22nd. 
I'm personally very excited about this one. I almost get this Kazemi in my solar return for 2023, oh but not quite, which is sad. And Venus is going to be my Time Lord. But I'm personally nice. excited about it. I also am excited to unpack it when we talk about the July-August um, forecast. But the last time we had a Venus retrograde in Leo was summer 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah, summer of 2015. And so I think uh, there are some themes that are going to be really interesting that come up. And I know a lot of you are sick of hearing about Venus retrograde, but alas, she goes retrograde every, what, 18 months or so? Yeah, so, Yeah. Um, she's not done with us yet, guys. And this is going to be one for the books. So yeah, I mean, with that, we can just kind of jump into January, I think. Yeah, we, we queued up January pretty well already as we were talking about those transits from 2022 and how we start the year off. We're, we still have we have a Mercury retrograde. We still have a Mars retrograde. I I feel like overall in, this, um, in January, we, we've got some like big Earth and air vibes. Um, that's pretty much where nearly all of the planets are mm-hmm. in January. Um but then also like really like fairly quickly into the month. Eh, actually, no, it's all throughout the month. We also have a bunch of planets just stationing direct. Like Mars will station direct on January 12th. Mercury mm-hmm. stations direct January 18th. And then Uranus also stations direct on January 22nd. So um, I personally think this month is going to be the roughest for Venus. Um mm-hmm. But this is nothing compared to as bad as she had it, remember, in March 2022, and she was enclosed by Malefic. So um, this time she at least trines Mars. Yeah, and I think that's a lot more of a constructive relationship, because at least um, with that relationship that they have with each other, I think of Mars as like, you know, our drive to achieve things. We've kind of been stalled because we've had to hyper focus on, you know, one area of our life where it seemed like maybe we were dealing with a lot of these acute crises, like one after one. Um, Something I think about with Mars and Gemini, um, just because Gemini is often associated with like communication, as well as just infrastructure for like movement and transport. I just keep thinking about how a lot of Elon's takeover of Twitter had a lot. It's just like constantly having to put out a fire. It's like, okay, I fired all these people and we tried to do this, but like, it turns out like I fired the person who needed to do that. And like just constantly having to put out multiple fires in your life. I think with, you know, Mars, um, finally going direct right after Venus is trining it. I think that, you know, that's kind of a supportive, um, aspect to you know station direct under because it seems like you know your ability to you know stabilize certain relationships with people may um allow you to finally sort through these sort of um crises that you haven't fully been able to solve because one it's like playing whack-a-mole right just like hitting one after the other after the other and i think that venus um making that aspect will actually be a lot like nicer than you know the station that we started (laughs) the um retrograde with because what was it mars was uh squaring neptune when it's stationed so (laughs) yeah it's like okay ambiguous i'm moving through the dark and no wonder why i'm having a hard time putting out these sort of mini fires in my life venus is kind of allowing you to smooth some things over before you finally make this decisive turn um 
in your life. But I think about the Deccan that Mars is stationing direct in, and I, I just loved that reverse movement through the Deccan, the Deccans of Gemini, because it's almost like we knew that there was a choice that we needed to make. And then we're kind of going through the motions of working backwards from that choice. So it's like, okay, all these moral dilemmas came up as we saw with this, like, you know, this full moon a week ago. Um, and then finally, um, Mars will station direct in that first second of Gemini, which makes you realize that there are a lot of options for moving forward. It's like, okay, if you'd been just considering two things, you might actually realize there's a secret third thing. And it's yeah. Venus that's facilitating that. Um, hey, there's a secret third thing you never thought about. Maybe consider that. And then Mars is like, aha, this is the thing. And then they decide <laughs> to go with it. Right. And, and, you know, just to remind folks, Mars entered Gemini on August 20 and then stationed retrograde on October 30. And, you know, we're not the we're not the first and only astrologers who noted just all the Twitter craziness with Elon Musk really mm -hmm. taking place with these transits. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm glad you made the point about just like choices and possibly like kind of looking beyond the black and white because, mm -hmm. I noticed, like, and myself included, we were all kind of going into, like, oh, no, Twitter is going to completely go away and, like, get destroyed. Um, now that some time's passed and we are starting to inch closer to this, like, first decan of Gemini, I'm starting to feel like I don't think Twitter is going to go away completely, but I do think we are seeing a whole... We're, we're, I don't think we're going to go back to, like, what it was before. I think the latest talk today is that Elon Musk wants to increase the character count to, like, 4,000. <laughs> Who's reading all that? <laughs> which is which is, that? which is wild. And actually, this will uh, this is a spoiler for later in the forecast. But you know, we are approaching a nodal return, I believe, for Twitter. Um, that sounds correct. Yeah. yeah, which is you know, and Twitter had always, from the very start, been a microblogging site. I mean, that's what it, like described itself as. It's the short short character format. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I would not be surprised if we move into this, like, like it just becomes a completely different Twitter than what we know. I mean, you know, it's interesting. So I think of that Venus-Mars trine before um, Mars is stationing direct. And it just makes me really think about um, just, like, expanding our options for connecting with people. And I think about the fact that, you know, as someone who has built a decent following on Twitter and I've really enjoyed connecting on Twitter with people over the years. I think that, you know, being challenged to find other forms of communicational infrastructure is going to be like a key element of that. And while I do see that maybe there is some value in some of the reforms that Elon does want to make when he's not, you know, being socially reactionary, <laughs> um, I do think that it's really encouraged other people to find the medium that works for them. And I, I really feel like with Venus being in that first decan of Aquarius, like, and that's a decan where Venus does really well, actually. And it's like, okay, I have this creative genius and maybe the people around me right now can't appreciate it. But there's also this connotation of like going off and finding your tribe of like fellow weirdos, comrades, what have you, who like can actually appreciate what it is that you want to create. So I wouldn't be surprised if regardless if it's Twitter or some other medium where there's this ability to really fully break away from something and, you know, kind of take your like entourage with you because I also encourage you to like go find other ways of connecting with them because 
they want to connect with you in a more meaningful way and they want to support the ideas that you have, even if um, people don't really agree with them. So I feel like maybe there might be some things that happen within the next month that maybe facilitates, I don't want to say a mass exodus from Twitter per se, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if some really big heavy hitters that are, you know, driving traffic to Twitter find other means of communicating with people um, or other means of reaching people um, so that they can be kind of, you know, patronized for the things that they're doing. And I don't mean like in the, you have like a patron who's like supporting you. I don't mean like someone lecturing you. Um, (laughs) I'm taking my squad somewhere else. I realized we could set up shop and like, it's a lot more efficient. And I just feel like even in your own personal life, Maybe there's this element of divesting from the ways that you've been doing things, especially if it centers around, you know, communication or movement in some way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, finally getting that push or encouragement from people around you to really, you know, expand your lane somewhere else. This mm-hmm. could be a job. This could be a relationship. This could just be where you're living. So, yeah. I'm very curious what it will be like for, you know, Mars is going to be direct and I know this is jumping ahead, but as Mars comes, goes back through those decans, um, Mm -hmm. what, how this will play out? Because I know this, this includes me, but a lot of people's current, um, frustrations has been trying to find the right platform. Um, because I I think it's true that there really isn't anything quite like Twitter that that's going to replace Twitter. But I think you're absolutely right that, that perhaps things will rise up that, aren't like they're completely new or kind of more outside the box and um again jumping ahead like the last time the nodes were in Aries and Libra or very specifically the north node in Aries the south node in Libra was mm-hmm. when Twitter and YouTube were founded and Facebook really started taking off though I think Facebook was founded a little bit before then so I could I could possibly see the rise of like a completely new platforms that we haven't even like haven't been invented yet possibly coming up this year yes no i i love that i'm also thinking of the fact that right after we get you know mars stationing direct we get this venus trine mars like a few days later venus will square uranus and this is really interesting to think about because um what did i want to say so like when i think of venus uranus aspects i feel like we've been forced to change our tastes. We've been forced to change like how we value things, how we seek out beauty. Um, I also think a lot about artists as well. And, you know, there's been a lot of discourse lately about AI and art and, you know, intellectual property around art. And I can't help but wonder if some, another subplot of um, some of these Venus Uranus aspects is, you know, the struggle to, maintain the integrity of artists and their, you know, intellectual property um, in the face of the development of AI and Ooh, how AI point. is being like, you know, so <laughs> I mean, I feel like with Venus being in an air sign, I feel like there will be a lot more discourse around that. Um, even just themes around like beauty and the commodification of beauty and how media has shaped beauty. I mean, I've, I've been thinking about you know, Instagram filters a lot. Like, yes, Instagram filters were really big. I want to say Uranus in um, Aries. Aries. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think of the the relationship between fire signs and sight. Because fire mm-hmm. is a very visual. Like, yes, there's heat. Yes, there's the changing of chemical structure. But it's a very visual phenomenon. And 
I'm wondering if uh, Uranus moving through Taurus has been like the consequences of how we relate to ourselves and how we go about curating beauty. And I feel like maybe a subplot of these like sorts of aspects, especially as we're looking to, you know, stay connected with each other and like talk to each other about what we think beauty looks like and how we should be sharing that. I feel like maybe Uranus square Venus may also relate to that a little bit as well. So yeah, I that's a really, really good point. Um, a little later in the month, Uranus actually stations direct. So, um, you know, outer planet stations are, you know, because outer planets move so slowly, I think they tend not to be too noticeable. But <laughs> this one happens with um, the moon in Aquarius, like squaring it. So mm-hmm. I could I could see how this one could feel potentially just like more jolting the normal like it, it may be noticed um especially if it's hitting your needle chart and oh yeah and you know what like so with outer planets like i mean beyond saturn when they're stationary they're stationary a lot longer it's not like a day or two it's like yeah. a couple <laughs> weeks and so um i think it's interesting that a couple like literally the same day venus can join saturn as well and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With Venus ruling, <laughs> with Venus ruling that Uranus, I wonder if there's like certain agreements around maybe our use of text. So when I see that Venus Saturn conjunction, the way I've been mm-hmm. framing this to clients um, is that maybe there's like this forging of an important relationship that is taking place, and if you want to maintain a relationship, everybody has to honor you know the boundaries around. Um, everybody getting to enjoy the things that they enjoy. Um, I also think it's funny that this conjunction is taking place in that last decade of Aquarius, which I like to joke, you know, it's like, okay, I just want to carry the few things that I like and I need the option to pick up and go because um, everything else is kind of extraneous nonsense. And you, you kind of just want the essentials of what makes you feel good and like what matters to you. And I think that it might be sort of a coming to, I mean, not to be religious, but coming to Jesus moment with relationships. Um, mm, and Uranus mm. will be in like maybe a loose square with it, but still a present factor. So if Uranus has been encouraging maybe the revisiting of these Taurus structures in your life, especially as it relates to your ability to, you know, achieve a sense of comfort, um, expand beauty in your life, um, consolidate resources in your life. I, I really think that Saturn Venus is going to be like, okay, if we're going to be doing this, here are the boundaries. Like, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And again, this is also Saturn's like last hurrah in Aquarius. So um, I think one final note that I want to make on um, I, I, like on just the January is, you know, Mars retrogrades, I, and I've I said this definitely in the 2022 forecast, and I've said it often on Twitter, do tend to bring labor disputes. And we have seen a lot of that um, in at, at end of 2022. There was a rail workers strike that got averted by the Biden administration and Congress that is extremely controversial. Um, and then a lot of, as I, th- my guess was that it was going to be newsroom workers. And sure enough, like New York Times workers did a one day walkout. And um, that could potentially continue into January 2023. Um, I have also noticed too in the past that even after the retrogrades, these disputes can continue. So we might see this even into March as Mars um, makes its way through Gemini again. 
No, and I love that you brought that up because I also think about Saturn's relationship to labor and laborers as well. And I could see that Venus-Saturn conjunction, you know, maybe um, forms of people who maybe work in industries that may have to do with beauty, may have to do with um, encouraging socialization, um, making decisions to unionize. I wouldn't be surprised personally, so... I would love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anything else for January or should we move to February? No, let's move to February and then March when, you know, some of the drama of the year starts. (laughs) All right. So um, February, I want to first point out that Kira um, had tweeted recently that this is going to be a nice Valentine's Day for the first time in what feels like forever because we do get this, um, we get a Venus-Neptune conjunction on the 15th, and then also a Saturn-Kazemi on the 16th, which is really interesting. This is in contrast to last year's Valentine's, when we had a Mercury-Pluto conjunction, we had the Sun at the South Bending, we had a full moon in Leo, and then the Venus-Mars conjunction that started in Capricorn and ended in Aquarius and lasted for like three weeks. I went through a break last year during Valentine's Day. um, And that time was allegedly when Putin originally wanted to invade Ukraine. Like, so it didn't happen until maybe a week later, but that's when, you know, that was starting to really become more of a reality, right? So, yeah, (laughs) it was not a good time. It was not a good time. Um, and you know, on, on that note, even like um, before, I mean, I know I jumped straight to Valentine's because I was excited about it, but the month does start with a couple of hard aspects, actually, that remind me not like not too much of last year, but a little bit because, um, you know, we get this Sun square Uranus um, and then we get Venus square Mars. Last year was a conjunction, but we get these like hard aspects between um, Venus and Mars again. Um but I do think that mid-month, like that Venus-Neptune conjunction, I think, and then the Sun-Saturn, um, to me, it's 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 like both like dreamy and romantic, but could also be solidifying or getting serious. Um, I could see the making of a lot of future Scorpios in this transit. Yes, a lot of future Scorpios. <laughs> I'm dead. Um, no, there is that. I also think that um, just with that Sun square uranus and also venus square mars happening so close to each other and i would say that a lot of the energy is pretty you know airy at this point um and it's like still got that like neurotic mercurial but then also like kind of hard ass saturnian energy and i think that there's this attempt to scramble at how we're all gonna have like key relationships with each other just because i think of um air signs a lot in terms of how people connect to each other how they communicate with each other and things like that um mm-hmm. i mean sun square uranus feels just very stressful for um just for general self-expression and then with venus making this aspect from her exaltation to mars it's almost like It's interesting because first you have in January, Venus and Mars having this nice aspect and this understanding, but I feel like Venus might just be a little distracted this month because, you know, she's 
I mean, she's not with Saturn anymore. She already decided what she was going to do with Saturn. Um, Mm -hmm. And then she's coming to Mars, like in the superior position in a place where she does really well. And it could be Mm -hmm. kind of like this attempt to maybe dismiss some of the concerns that Mars has as it's trying to pick up the pieces in, you know, a part of its life. So, yeah, I don't know. It it could be like that, but then, um, you know, as Venus is dealing with some of these uh, conflicts, you know, she finally gets to enjoy the big happy ending (laughs) with Neptune. So. Yeah, totally. I, you know, it's a good point on just like how airy this is. Like my hope is that, this will be more bite than bark. Um, like a lot of just like battles of the ego, perhaps, or like you said, like around like more issues around like self-expression. But it's also like you said, you said, um, you know, last year was around the time that Putin wanted to attack Ukraine, but didn't. So um Yeah. yeah. Um and I feel like with hmm, so Venus Square Mars can also just be I'm trying to find the most diplomatic way to put this. Um, Just remembering how the aspect felt and also just knowing people with these aspects. Um, There can be sort of this like irreverence for social decorum. And (laughs) I feel like if you're the Venusian person in this situation, it's like, okay, I'm more focused on mm, just because it's with Neptune still like this, um, idealism around um connecting with people and beauty maybe at the expense of the well-being of say mars the person who has to um actually do the work to make things beautiful so something that i saw um floating around on the internet like recently it just made me think of this um how a lot of these awards or like oh most influential people in podcasts or something um tends to be like it's not the people who are actually working to curate the podcast, doing the research for the podcast. It's, you know, like the person doing the interviews or like the executives. It's never like the people doing the actual work. And so oh yeah, just, just also thinking about Venus's exaltation as well. Like exalted planets can be a bit like entitled, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they're like an honored guest in someone's house and you get to reap all the benefits of like, rewards and influence but you actually don't have any of the responsibility for what happens and so yeah you don't have the cleanup after the party <laughs> exactly <laughs> so i could totally see that um happening as well um i mean what do you think of that saturn kazemi and aquarius because that feels like a big deal to me it's like a cycle reset for saturn even though saturn is not going to be in aquarius the rest of the year yeah I, I, I do think it's a big deal. It's kind of almost like this. Um, I mean, Kazemis are a rebirth, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting that it is happening in this last stretch. Like we really just get like, what, like a month, not even a full month of Saturn mm-hmm. left when mm-hmm. this happens. And um, so I do wonder, like even, you know, we're, when we're even talking about January, when we're thinking about Saturn and the structures and just like kind of really starting to think outside the box and looking at different ways to look at things, like I wonder if that can just pr- bring about like, more energy on whether it's, I don't know, new social media platforms or how we're looking at AI um, or labor, <laughs> labor stuff even just kind of coming up. 
You know, like with you making that point about labor, um, and I think of uh, the archetypes that often get associated with Saturn and the sun. So the sun is like the centralized authority, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say that the sun's movement through Aquarius symbolically represents the one time of year where um, the authority kind of has to defer to the needs of the collective, right? And um, just because it's this last time that, you know, Saturn, this um, planet that is emblematic of maybe people at the margins, the people, you know, at the bottom per se, like hold, but still are important for upholding the structures that everyone is dependent on. I can't help but wonder if this is like a period of time where some authority has to defer to or, you know, be responsible for um honoring the needs of the collective. And it just makes me think of, I'm just thinking about like corporations. I'm also thinking about like issues with monarchy. I'm also thinking about issues with like just leaders in general. Like it just feels like a period of time where um, there's going to be some pressure for, you know, leaders to actually be responsible for the needs of, you know, collectives and things. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a turning point where, um, I'm not saying like regime change per se, because I don't think it's that, but um, just like, I mean, Saturn can also be, Sun-Saturn aspects can be very punishing as well. So, I mean, there could be some like humbling of some sort of. Um, yeah, I, I could see that. This is also, you know, it's, it's, it's at 27 degrees. And um, so it's like those final degrees, I think, do tend to be these shifts and mm-hmm. This is also, Saturn's already in domicile. It's also Saturn's bound. Um, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. those last degrees tend to be ruled by either Mars or Saturn <laughs> for the bounds. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like a supercharged Saturn. Yeah, and you know what? I think this is also setting us up for some of the lessons that are going to come through with Pluto and Aquarius, with Saturn and Pisces as well, because um, I really like how um, in his exploration of the signs, uh, what Chris Brennan is doing with, you know, describing the signs of the Zodiac, it's almost like there's some quality of the next sign that's maybe correcting the issues of the first sign. Mm. And I feel like, you know, with some of these last conjunctions, but particularly with the sun, just because of the relationship with those two planets, I think that we're moving towards an age where the power of the collective or the masses is a lot more emphasized. And I think there's something about this day that like starts to make that a lot clearer. Yes. Um, That said, I mean, I think this is a good segue to the March forecast, but is there anything else you wanted to add on February? Not really. I want to jump into March because that's where yeah. the real drums is. Exactly. Like, you know, not that there's nothing happening in February. I think it is a relatively quiet month um, compared to what else is happening in the rest of the year, but especially because it's happening right before March. Um, but yeah, let's move on to March. Yeah. Where I to mean, even begin? <laughs> so listen okay so i like the beginning of march because it's also like one of the last aspects that saturn is making um before it moves into pisces so it'll finally conjoin mercury and i think roughly within 24 hours there's the venus jupiter conjunction so that feels Mm -hmm. um really nice so jupiter conjunct venus tends to be um 
celebratory. Um, there could be this expansion when it comes to, you know, um, people's ability to experience pleasure, people to, um, you know, I just think of the freedom to really enjoy things because, you know, Jupiter represents freedom. Um, and I would say Venus has a lot to do with personal enjoyment. So I feel like there's some sort of event milestone that feels positive for that. But I think it's also funny that um, Mercury and Saturn are conjoining because, you know, they're two planets that can be very, um, you know, meticulous. And mm -hmm. they're trying to like mm -hmm. define something or articulate something, right? Right. Especially in those last degrees, right? Oh. Like so loud. <laughs> um, I feel like maybe there's some sort of like, like on a personal level, I feel like if you're in a position to, you know, revise or edit something, especially if it is something that's supposed to define a key structure in your life, especially if it involves how people are going to socialize, um, those are the kinds of things that come about. And then I think it's funny that it's coming on the heels of just having this sort of celebratory vibe in the air. Um, yeah. I also put in my notes that this is going to be cel celebratory and this is despite Venus being in detriment here and um, you know, and neither like, well, Jupiter has triplicity here. I still think this is going to be nice. Um, you know, we haven't had a Venus Jupiter conjunction since April 30, 2022 and Neptune <laughs> was also conjoined um, to them. And, but this is also during a solar eclipse in Taurus. Like, I don't know about you, but for me, I remember that transit feeling like underwhelming. Like I almost felt like disappointment because there was, I think it was so hyped up. Um, but I also ended up meeting my partner like a week after that transit. So, nice, um, nice. yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, I mean, it was good. I felt like it was good, uh, for me personally, it was pretty good. I couldn't complain. Um, I mean, I'm biased. It's my first house. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm really <going> to <laughs> but I feel like the Neptune piece, um, I feel like Neptune kind of ruined it a little bit just because, yeah. um, if you're someone who like really idealized something, I like just thinking about people I know, maybe some positive things happened for them, but the longevity of them was not sustainable. Um, yeah. I also feel like if you're someone who was expecting a lot, I mean, Neptune tends to bring disillusionment as much as it brings idealization. <laughs> so like you may have been like um, really jaded and you couldn't really enjoy the transit. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. so I wouldn't be surprised, but you know, because it's in Aries, I think it's more of like the, uh, the celebration of a new beginning. I was about to mash that into one word. Yeah, and it's in the it's going to be at twelve degrees, so it's in that second decan mm -hmm. of Aries, which I like. I mean, they would they would both be stronger in the third decan and perhaps even more celebratory. Yeah. But I yeah. still like that second decan. It's a sun rule decan. It's almost like kind of like the like the beginning, or yeah, again, like you said, it's just like sowing those seeds that are gonna like reap rewards you know and i think just because of the recognition element of that middle decan of aries i think that if recognition for something that you did was a long time coming like i think this is the time where that could totally come mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um okay <laughs> i'm like oh my god where where do we go next okay so the rest of the month so that's like already just like the first two days of march already crazy mm -hmm. in a good way um then we get like 
some major shifts, like two of the top transits we mentioned are this month. And the first one we get is Saturn entering Pisces on March 7th. So as we said earlier, Saturn and domicile is officially over. We won't have a dignified Saturn again until it enters Libra in 2039, which is a whole 16 years from now. This is yeah. Mo's Saturn return. How are you feeling about that? Not excited. <laughs> I mean, I, I can kind of already see what that is going to be for me. And I'm equal parts like ready for Saturn to just make me a better person. But like... <laughs> also not looking forward to what that means for like my personal well-being <laughs> so um as in like i feel like i'm just going to be a lot busier with things and i have a tendency to run myself into the ground so like that that's like a problem that i'm kind of like not excited about yeah. but um yeah no but i also you know what i've i've been actually reflecting a lot on what saturn and pisces could mean as a transit for these next three years and I found that especially just having lived through Saturn and Capricorn and Aquarius, because like just because of where my um, Saturn sits, it's in Pisces. Like that's the first time I got to live through that transit, like of Saturn through those signs. So it just felt like um, there's this sort of maybe austerity that overpowered Saturn for two years, um, or sorry, not two, six years. My bad, six years, because mm-hmm. it went in and like what. It went into Capricorn in 2017. So, like, we've just been yeah. dealing with what seemed like crisis after crisis, um, you know, testing our the structures by which we, um, you know, depend on leaders to, um, you know, support society, just thinking of the Capricorn archetype, but then also just, like, how we connect with each other. And I think a lot of that was accelerated by Pluto just having this, like, extended co-presence when Saturn was in Capricorn and then you know we tried to clean up you know the consequences of the pandemic with um Saturn and Aquarius and I remember talking about this with somebody um because I actually did a video on Saturn and Pisces it's going to come out sometime at the beginning of you know 2023 but um let's see what what do I want to say it's like it's like Saturn really challenged us to think about like be connected uh, because it's like Aquarius and it's like an air sign. So while we were more connected than we've ever been, thanks to the internet, we're also so far apart now because by necessity of needing to be distanced from each other, um, you know, we had to find new ways of connecting to each other, which is really comical. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, yes, we're, more plugged in we're okay saturn like meowing at me we're more plugged in you know we have zoom we have slack we have like all of these other things you know twitter made spaces we had clubhouse you know we had all of these things but um we're losing that in-person element and Mm -hmm. i find that virtual communication and in-person communication two very different mediums i mean it's nice to see people through a screen but it's like because you get that human element because you can see people's facial expressions um, and things like that. But um, you're not experiencing, you know, what their vibe is like in person, right? And it, it, it just takes away this dimension of communication um, that I feel is necessary to engage with people. So while it's been great for becoming more connected technologically, 
it's also mm-hmm. made us a lot for, further apart um, than we've been for some time. So I think yeah. that Saturn and Pisces will maybe try to encourage us to come back together again, if that makes sense. I I would like that. I do think these pandemic years and everything you said really turned on its head the premise of a lot of dystopian um, stories, movies out there that where, you know, it's like this dystopic future where everyone is just so plugged in virtually and refuses to have like social interaction. <laughs> I think it almost in some ways disproves um, that and just highlights, um, I think even the most introverted of people still really need and want that in-person connection. I do wonder if Saturn and Pisces will bring more of a return back to work. Um, I felt like it's obviously already started with Saturn and Aquarius, but a lot of it's been, sadly, because of capitalism, like forced (laughs) returns back to work. And um, I do wonder if there's just going to be more of like a willingness, um, you know, people doing it on their own terms. Um, I think it's also worth noting that the Saturn signs are back to back, right? Capricorn and Aquarius, but they're sandwiched Mm -hmm. by these Jupiter ruled signs, uh, Sagittarius and Pisces. I'm, um, you know, like a little morbidly curious to see how Saturn and Pisces will go for all you Saturn and Pisces folks. Um, but, you know, it's, it's I have Saturn and Sag. It's my first Saturn square post return. And um, so I'm very, very curious to see what this um, having Saturn and a Jupiter ruled sign again will bring. You know what? Like, I... I like to joke that um, Saturn and Pisces is unfortunately going to be like the Borg, right? Like people (laughs) are looking for a shared sense of meaning to converge around because I'm sure people are tired of the austerity. Oh my God, cat, go away. I love we're how talking cats about- are flocking around us once we started talking, talking about, about Saturn, Saturn and Pisces. Like, my she's cat's like, here too. <laughs> she's a sat- so my cat's actually Saturn and Sag. It's really funny. Oh um, my God, what a cutie. Okay, you little, little, um, and she's got Mars and Sagittarius uh, actually stationary. Oh. So That's yeah. It's also Saturn and Sag. You're right. Oh. Yeah. oh. They're like, oh, I want him on this uh, jovial Saturn action. But um. I really think that um, people are looking for this shared sense of meaning to converge around. And, you know, after dealing with, you know, six years of austerity, um, I think people are just tired. I mean, look at the discourse around the 2022 midterms Mm -hmm. and how, like, while there wasn't, um, you know, a red wave per se, um, and it was mostly the status quo, uh, people mm-hmm. are just like, I'm tired of inflammatory rhetoric. I just want to know what the government is going to do to take care of me and my needs. Um, yeah. And I think, um, so this will come up in the video that I did with um, Dan Waits, who um, is a great mundane astrologer, in my opinion. Um, he brought up a good point about um, the circle of care kind of expanding under um, Saturn and Pisces periods. Um, mm. I also think about the fact that people like um, Karl Marx is a Saturn and Pisces. I always yeah. forget that. And it's yeah. just like, huh, I feel like there's just going to be more of this emphasis on how are the structures in place there to protect the collective and their needs and allow us to converge around like a shared sense of meaning. Like, what does it mean to belong I think is going to be 
very much a theme of Saturn and Pisces. I'm so glad you compared Saturn and Pisces to the Borg because I've often seen the Borg characterized as Aquarius and no, I've strongly disagreed with it. I think Pisces really, really gets slapped on um, about does its connections with this ideological cohesion that you're talking about. I mean, um, who else had Saturn and Pisces? Catherine the Great, um, Robespierre. <laughs> um, and what's funny is like, Robespierre, Catherine the Great, and um, Marx all had third deck in Aquarius risings ruled by Saturn and Pisces. So it's just like really giving. It's like, okay, who belongs? That's like a lot of the question. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can actually go back and look at, you know, key points in history and like just what does it mean to belong? Like who belongs where, right? And I think of Saturn's relationship to borders. I think of um, its relationship to who is within social circles and who's without. While I feel like Aquarius is more about rejecting people from social circles because it's Saturn actively saying no to things. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, Saturn in a Jupiter sign wants to say yes to things. Maybe it's selective about who it's saying yes to, and maybe it wants to force everybody to accept yes. But um, <laughs> that's that's all I have to say about that. Like, I I think this discussion will continue when we talk about the next big transit of this month. But before we jump into that, I want to make a very quick note about mm-hmm. Venus entering Taurus on March sixteenth, and. Mm-hmm. I'm so stoked about a Venus and Taurus that won't be squared um, with Saturn. I'm wondering what the election possibilities will be during this time. I haven't looked yet, but I'm feeling hopeful, hopefully. That's a good point, because that means that Venus is off axis from the malefics, which is nice. I mean, Uranus is there, but... Fuck it, we ball. Like we're gonna do, <laughs> we're gonna do Venus things. Venus is at least in like the later degrees. Yeah, like, maybe we could just you know maybe it's one of those like early Venus and Taurus um, charts. We'll see. Um, you yeah, know, just wanted- <laughs> I do think that with Venus ruling uh, the Uranus, I do think it could be a constructive time to really explore um you know different ways of achieving pleasure and like you know maximizing like the enjoyment in the Taurus area of our lives um in a way without restriction you know um so that'll that'll be really nice I think I think so so then (laughs) that brings us to March 23rd Pluto will enter (laughs) Aquarius so we just talked a big deal about Saturn and Pisces the Saturn and Pisces will now be ruling Pluto and Aquarius um i okay let's set this up so this is gonna be first this is gonna be a pluto square for those of us with pluto and scorpio aka millennials um the pluto square is one of many of these midlife transits that folks Mm -hmm. go through ages 35 to 50 others include you know your first saturn square which i just mentioned i'll be going through um you know and the opposition um post return um nodal return uranus opposition neptune square third jupiter return all happen within those years Mm -hmm. of life um pluto and aquarius is going to last for 20 years long because of the shape of jupiter's um ecliptic the pluto's time in each of the signs actually varies pretty greatly and Mm -hmm. so this is a 20 year long one 
And the last time Pluto was in Aquarius was between 1777 and 1798, which was a 22-year period full of worldwide revolutions. This is everything from the American Revolution, the French Revolution, the Haitian Revolution. Um, there was an Andean Revolution that not too many people have heard about that was unfortunately unsuccessful, um, amongst other things. There were many, many, many revolutions during this period. And a lot of the folks who were revolutionaries um, who led those revolutions were born with either Pluto and Scorpio. Many, many, many were blown with Pluto and Scorpio, like, for example, um, Toussaint Louverture um, has it. I believe Thomas Jefferson has it, um, but um, as well as Pluto and Sag. Um, and so yeah. um, Pluto is going to shift back and forth between Capricorn and Aquarius two more times until it fully settles into Aquarius, which will be November 2024. But um, yeah, this is going to be the beginning of a 20 year transit. Listen, I thought it was funny that you brought up revolutions because um, it was Dan who pointed this out to me. Uh, the uh, French Revolution actually began with um uh saturn and pisces as well so i think you're on the money and so i feel like archetypically it's very key to understand you know what pluto and aquarius can do it's helpful to think about the sign opposite right mm -hmm. um pluto is emphasizing the power of maybe collectives over you know individuals particularly those who command a lot of authority um, and may want to mm, consolidate power around maybe more of this um, cult of personality, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that um, it's also correcting what happened with um, Pluto and Capricorn. So what I think about is Pluto and Capricorn really collapsed you know our relationship to a lot of these global structures around like finances and how material is organized um we saw that with the ingress of pluto into capricorn coinciding with economic collapse and mm. it seems like pluto <laughs> leaving capricorn is going to bring economic collapse um i also think about the fact that the u.s was born under um that you know, last decade Pluto Capricorn and mm -hmm. how that revolution was a lot more about a collapse of faith in the, um, maybe the financial structure. I mean, sure it had implications for, um, the social structure as a result, but it was ultimately a revolution about, we don't want to pay taxes, particularly wealthy landowning people <laughs> in, you know, the former British colonies of North America, not wanting to pay taxes to people. Mm -hmm. So think of that what you will. But I do think for the subsequent revolutions, just because of how um, the American revolution was framed, I do think it was more about sovereignty. It's like, okay, we are living a completely different reality from these empires that we are a part of. And I think it ties in this theme that I mentioned for um, Saturn and Aquarius. While we are more connected than we've ever been, we're also like more estranged from each other. And I think that when you get that happening, especially with Pluto bringing a stress test, you know, relationships and how we organize ourselves as people will probably collapse in favor of structures that actually, you know, um, make more sense with people who are probably, you know, sharing your experience, sharing your reality, things like that. So 
Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, I'm sure, you know, we'll be, we'll be talking about this a lot more on the pod mm-hmm. into, um, 2023, you know, we're going to be continuing our planetary joy series, but who knows mm-hmm. what our next series will be. And maybe, right. we'll, you know, we'll be talking more about, um, this transit. Um, yeah, it's this combination of like Saturn and Pisces and Pluto Aquarius is, um, is going to be, um, a big one for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think aside from that, in terms of like this rounding out March, um, like I, we'd already mentioned earlier, Mars will finally leave Gemini and enter cancer on March 25th. I, it'll be in its fall now, but at least it'll be a different vibe than what we've had for the past. Like at this point, it had been seven months. Um, Mars had been in Gemini since August 20. I think it's going to especially be a relief for the mutable placements. And Mm -hmm. now that Saturn will be in um, Pisces, um, at least Mars will have moved off. Like that would really suck to have both malefics in the mutable signs. Um, And yeah, yeah, like I said, that's, that's square with the Saturn and Pisces, very short lived. I mean, but what's interesting is that it's also Mars, like, coming back to trine um, Saturn, but, like, in a different element. Because we got the trine recently in the air signs, and I just love how, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about this, but I remember when I wrote about the Mars full moon business, I was like, oh, maybe the moon translating between Mars and Saturn is like, okay, how can we leverage, like, the deliberateness of inaction? Because... Mars Saturn aspects can be like start stop frustration, but I feel like when Mars and Saturn are together um, in a softer aspect, it's good for deliberate inaction so that you can actually get clear about what you want to do. And I just can't help but wonder if, you know, speaking to some of these themes around people really wanting um, to be in a circle of care and to have some authority like actually you know be of service and care i think that you know with mars being in the part of the zodiac where it's like very defensive and it's like it's like an angry mama bear like trying to protect its cubs from you know threats that don't exist yet Mm. and i feel like you know that energy could kind of be there you know by the end of march so yeah totally um anything else on march (laughs) oh so the same day, you're going to laugh, so same day of Mars, uh, Uranus trying on that last day of March, you've got um, Venus conjunct Uranus. So <laughs> I really think that maybe there's something kind of innovative or different about like how you want to connect with people even. Um, and I think it's still happening in that middle decade of Taurus. So I do think of that relationship between give and take you know the labor you put in versus the output um things like that and i just can't help but think that a lot of this energy will be a lot about people really just finding new ways to make sure that they can protect what's important to them but also just get comfortable with um maybe certain things not being available but because i remember what austin was saying i think it was last last forecast for 20 it was one of the forecasts last year where he's like, oh, there's like no ice cream. And like, you're kind of upset because there's no ice cream. It was like a Venus Uranus square. Mm-hmm. Um, but because Venus is at home and like she is conjunct Uranus, I think there may be more of a deliberate like engagement with um, new things. So that could be nice. Hmm. Yeah. 
that that you're right that that Venus Uranus conjunction will be in that middle decan of Taurus. The Mar- Mars and Cancer will be in that first decan of Cancer. Um, it sounds nice to me. No, I think it's nice, and it's like. It's like, I've had a hard time. I'm going to, like, you know, assert myself the one day of the year so that I can (laughs) actually enjoy this thing I want to enjoy, right? Yeah. So that could be good. Um, I think we can move into April now. Let's do it. All right. So April, um, you know, I think one of the big things about Pluto and Aquarius is it means that the hard aspects of Pluto and fixed signs will begin. Um, we do start the month, for example, with Mercury and then the sun. Um, what do you call it? Um, squaring. Squaring Pluto. Mm-hmm. So um, that's interesting. Um, but, you know, in the middle of the month, too, we get our first um, Jupiter Cassini um and aries since apparently april 2011 was the last time yeah i mean listen i really like this kazemi because it's like that deccan where jupiter does really well Mm -hmm. um i don't know i feel like from a client perspective i was like okay this feels like a good time to maybe start reaping rewards for some initiatory thing that you did especially if it involves um really being that source of um you know inspiration or that source of meaning for people so like this is one of the decans that is said to have you know big propagandist energy except like it's less about you know riling people up and making them aggressive and it's more about you know inspiring them in some way and like being the source of you know hope for them so um I'm really hoping you're right because I <laughs> this is my Jupiter return. It's pretty nice. it's not it's not super super close but close in the same decan as my natal Jupiter nice. and um and I have Aries um as my I have a 12,000 Aries perfection year still at that time. So wow. Yeah. You know what? No, yeah. that's nice. Um something that I've also been thinking about is um wouldn't like people start announcing that they're running for president in the u.s or something like i'm pretty sure like people will start making those announcements so i'd imagine that true unless you're trump and you announce way too fucking early (laughs) on a bad election that election was so bad (laughs) (laughs) i mean but the chart of his announcement just made the intention behind it so transparent i was like this is just giving like money grab (laughs) <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I don't even think and he's serious about being president. Like, I think he just wants money. I think so. And Patrick Watson has a pretty good write-up about um, Trump's um, zodiacal releasing periods. And basically, he's predicted, like, there's no way Trump's going to get the presidency in 2024. But. No. Um, and I think that... Um, I feel like people might be inspired. I feel like if someone makes an announcement on this day about, you know, wanting to, um, you know, run for president, I feel like a lot of people will be really excited by this person. Yeah. It's somebody who commands a lot of respect and like can just kind of tap into that shared collective meaning, you know, that the masses like are kind of looking for, you know, I feel like those people will really be rewarded during that time. Yeah. Here for it. That person will be me. 
Just kidding. I've never <laughs> for office. I hate it. Although I am very curious what Pluto and Aquarius in my tenth house will bring. It screams, oh, you know. That's interesting. Yeah, like. But then leadership, look, there's but hopefully like, not that kind. <laughs> look at that eclipse though in um, Aries. Yes, that happens like a little over a week later. I mean, Jupiter's still caught up in it because it's so close, but it's this anoretic solar eclipse in Aries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's exactly on my needle, Jupiter. Um, <laughs> this kicks off, um, as we said, the series of Aries Libra eclipses that we're going to mm -hmm. get for the next year and a half or so. As we also said, the Taurus and Scorpio ones aren't done. Um, we do get, we'll talk about that for the May forecast. Um, but this one, as you said, it's on the anoretic degree. It's at 29 degrees, Aries. And eclipses generally, right, are always going to be big beginnings and or endings. And with this one being in Aries 3, I could see this being either or. Um, but it gives me a celebratory vibe. Yes, sure. very celebratory. And, like, somebody's, like, getting, like, really, like, rewarded for, like, putting themselves out there in some mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. um, I also wanted to make a comment. So you know how um, I think it was after the last uh, lunar eclipse in Taurus, I saw all those articles where everybody's like, we're not going to have lunar eclipses or like total lunar eclipses until 2025. And mm. I thought that that was very loud because oh. what it means is that with this, um, eclipse cycle in Aries and Libra the solar eclipses are total and they're overpowered right because the more total the eclipse the more intense the effect right yeah and this is huge because this is the axis where the sun is exalted and then the sun is fallen so I I do agree with what you said about celebratory I feel like this is maybe people aligning themselves with sort of this um I don't want to say heroic, but kind of heroic or like legendary figure. Like people are rallying behind them in some way because it's Jupiter caught up in the eclipse as well. So um, yeah. I really think that some person is going to have some elevation or rise in. Wait a second. <gasps> okay, let me shut up. Let me shut up. I mean, I was just thinking of. I was thinking Kamala Harris's chart because this is a lunar return for her and her um, moon is um, at 27 degrees of Aries. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't remember what perfection she's running right now. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head either, but I'm, I, I've been, you know, ever since like, even before 2020, I, like, I've been looking at her as a diaper releasing, like, when um, like, big stuff going to happen for her. I mean, obviously, becoming vice president's huge. Like, I don't want to, you know, um, no, overshadow that, but I feel, I feel like she's in a, I feel like she's in a Pisces perfection right now, and she will be in Jupiter return territory. Um, mm. I feel like, I don't know, something is happening there. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but something. Um, I would just watch that. Like Yeah. And just people who have like late Aries placements, I would probably watch Cancer and Leo Risings, because these are like this is like an exalted chart ruler eclipse with um uh, Leo Risings and then Cancer Risings into tenth house transit. So um yeah, I don't know. It it just feels like people rallying behind somebody like 
making some big power move or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm excited for it. And that's a really good point about there being no total eclipses in um, or total, sorry, total um, lunar eclipses until 2025. Um, even this year, I think it's significant that we get the solar eclipses in Aries and Libra and then mm-hmm. the lunar ones in Taurus and Scorpio. Like it just, to me, seems to really emphasize like the diurnal versus the no- nocturnal. Exactly. And so I, I just have a feeling like this eclipse as well as like the other um, Libra Aries eclipses, they're going to be like eclipses do bring significant events for better or worse. Um mm-hmm not always like super public like sometimes it could really be stuff behind the scenes that we're not really seeing i don't think that's the case for the Libra and aries ones i think these ones are gonna be loud and very public very public um i just think it's funny that literally the same day it's like the sun moves into taurus and squares pluto right after that yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's giving power grab (laughs) power grab yeah 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 and then, like the day after that, is a Mercury Mercury station retrograde. <laughs> like, um, it's stationing in that middle decan of Taurus as well, and so I really think that Mercury's movement in Taurus is going to be about, you know, sort of that give take relationship. And then when it stations direct in the first decan of Taurus, I don't think it gets back towards the North Node at that point, but um, I think it comes pretty close. Um, mm-hmm. It's just giving. It gets how close? How close does it get? Do you know? Um, I don't know. I I don't know. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, what I was gonna say is because it is in it's the station in the middle. Um, in that middle decan, it gets close to the Uranus, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. ever perfect, and then it doesn't. But but it will once it stations direct again. But um, and and then they perfect their conjunction on June fourth. So uh-huh. um, I have a feeling that could just also just be like further, like a continuation of this story around power grabs that begins this month. Yeah, I think also just, I love the um, both agrarian, but also um, artisan metaphors that are associated with the decans of earth signs. And I really feel like, I don't know, there's something there going on. Um, Mercury also, again, speaking to communication, um, exchange, trade, like, I find that it's helpful to think of the different facets of money. So like, Mercury itself has to do with the mercantile, you know, the market, you're exchanging, you're trading, you're bargaining, you're negotiating. And so I think that there is an element of that in play. Um, I'm also just thinking about maybe the Sibley chart a little bit, because it's the ruler Mm. of the 10th but also the seventh going through the sixth um sixth house can also be like just maybe the relationship between making deals with laborers because i know that um the biden administration kind of screwed the rail workers over but i also know that a lot of people are very frustrated because while you know the same mistakes aren't being made during this administration as was being made during the previous um people are really feeling the pinch financially um, oh for sure yeah inflation's it's bad <laughs> i don't and I, I like as much as i'd like to say that oh neptune going away from jupiter is going to help that i really don't think it is mm-hmm. um and i think there're going to be a lot of questions about you know the work that you know the government is doing 
to um, offset that. Um, just because in the Sibley chart, uh, Mercury does rule the seventh house, which has to do with other nations. I would imagine, I wonder if they're like possibly deals for manufacturing and Mercury has to do with tech as well. And I know that it was last year that uh, Biden signed that Chips and Science Act or something. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm wondering if like maybe some of the um, consequences of that will start to make sense around this time of year. You know? Oh, actually, I, I can speak on this because <laughs> this is like my line of work now. But um, <laughs> yes, Biden and, the, and, and like Congress and it, it, so the Chips and Science Act is there, but so is the Inflation Reduction Act and the um, Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. So these are three major acts that are putting something like close to like, I think it's $16 trillion total into infrastructure spending that's um, the idea is to primarily put it behind addressing the climate crisis and really trying to move toward this um, electric vehicle transition. It's, I think it's a big shift overall in U.S. policy. I've mentioned this on the pod before because I, not that the, the military industrial complex is going away, but our economy really, like our industrial policy really has revolved around the war, <laughs> the military for decades and decades, and that won't stop. But this is a big significant shift towards something that's not primarily Wait, military. What you just said. So I'm thinking, I think sometime this year in Canada, just thinking about that chart. So it's an Aries rising chart. Uh, Mercury rules vehicles because, you know, third house. And I think starting in 2023, um, the sale of um, non-electric vehicles or the manufacturing of non-electric vehicles in Canada is going to be banned. And so wow. I'm wondering if maybe with different countries depending on their um you know their relationships there may be some deals being made around um okay like if we need to if we're trying to do this thing that's more green right mm -hmm. obviously we don't have all of the materials and infrastructure to like sustain this if our economy has focused so much on the consumption of fossil fuels mm -hmm. um i think that maybe this might be a time where different countries to different levels maybe like signing agreements i think of that with mercury as well around mm -hmm. what are we exchanging meaningfully i'd mm -hmm. be surprised if like there are certain deals that need to be made i also keep thinking about the conflict in ukraine as well mm -hmm. um because i know some of those countries have like i think russia has a virgo rising chart something like i feel like some attempt at like figuring out what that is because unfortunately i do think that conflict one is going to continue and to bring more disruptions to supply chain, triggering inflation, triggering all of these other things. Um, mm -hmm. I think that an attempt to, you know, um, make sure that the flow of goods and services can continue in spite of this ongoing conflict. Because I right. think that maybe more of that will be relevant. Yeah, I do think this is definitely going to be a year where, okay, there's 16 trillion allocated. How does it actually get spent wisely? How do we deal with the uh, supply chain issues that don't seem like they're going to go away anytime soon? We, you know, one of the one of the big aspects of I can't remember exactly, I'm pretty sure it's chips and science. Um, a big pool of that money is supposed to go toward building charging stations all across like all 50 states within I think 10 miles there needs to be one within 10 miles of each other and 
Um, but it brings up all these, uh, the, 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 the switch to electric vehicles brings up all these questions, like even with the supply chain alone, right? Like, um, mm -hmm. how are we going to get the materials to build these batteries is a big one. Battery mining is going to become a, like a huge, huge topic. Um, they're already talking, for example, in, um, in the in Southern California, there's a region in in the Imperial Valley called um, right right by the Salton Sea where they want to do experimental lithium extraction that's like never been done before. There's questions around oh. that. Um, I just did some research that the vast majority of um, reserves for the materials most needed in these batteries, such as lithium and cobalt are the vast, vast, vast majority are near Native American reservations. So, uh -huh. um, I mean, even when you were bringing up earlier about just like, yeah, there is like this mercury in the air and the transportation, but there's just so, so, so much happening in earth. Like actually yeah. this will be a very good segue into May with Jupiter going yeah. into Taurus. But um, yeah, so there's supply chain issues. There's like, how is the money going to be spent? There's also this larger question that I don't think it's talked about enough of like, why are we so big still on private vehicle ownership to begin with? Like this could have really been a right. good opportunity to put money toward public transportation, but it seems like it's not going. It's instead going to Elon Musk and Rivian. And, right, you know, right. Um, not only that, but you know, there's the issue of... I feel like the elephant in the room a little bit with um, the attempt to move towards more green things. It's like, okay, how... yes, we want to reduce global warming, but there is a real environmental impact on needing to mine these resources, disposal of, um, you know, solar, solar cells that are no longer working, you know, the byproducts emitted from manufacturing these things. Like, you know, these things can release toxins into rivers. They like disrupt ecosystems. You, you know, there's like a whole um, environmental piece that we're not talking about because we're so focused on the global warming piece. And it's like, yes, that's important, but that's only one part. Exactly. Yeah, there's so um, much to unpack here. I could go on and on, um, but do we want to move into May? Because <laughs> I think no, this will continue could, anyway because, into the May discussion. Um, what's funny is that we start May with that Mercury Kazemian Taurus, and then really right. like the day after Pluto is stationing retrograde in Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not even one degree in Aquarius, and it has stationed retrograde. But yes. Um, <laughs> um, and then not too long after that, on May 5th, we get that lunar eclipse in Scorpio. This will be the last one. It's going to be at 14 degrees, which is actually very close. Um, well, very close in opposition to the lunar eclipse in Taurus that happened on November 8th, which, you know, was midterm elections, as folks might remember. You know what else is and, funny? Like, hmm. so, um, as someone who keeps up with the royals, because I'm praying on the abolishment of monarchy. Um, uh, King Charles III will be coronated literally the day after this. So I am just like, who is his astrologer? Why does he not have one? The day that they picked originally, I think it was June 3rd or something, the chart was a lot better. Like, it's like, how wow. are you going to have an eclipse happening? And then you have like that Mars, I think the Mars in Cancer is really prominent in the start time. And I'm just like, can you have the, I think by the time the eclipse is over, the moon is already on his chart ruler in um, Scorpio because he's a Scorpio sun. Huh. And I just can't help, but it just doesn't feel like a good omen to concretize um, your rulership because the coronation chart I've found is very descriptive of, you know, the reign and the rulership. So I, I just don't think it's a good time to... <laughs> 
really be crowned. <laughs> I agree. I, it's very interesting because I, I wrote in my notes a little later that when, you know, the, the nodes will move into Libra and Aries in July. And um, the last time those nodes um, were there, um, Queen Elizabeth II had become the longest reigning British monarch. That was the 2014, 2015 one. Um, but then if you jump back even further to the 2004 to 06 ones, um, that was when Charles married Camilla, which um, so it's a, mm. that was a big time for him then. I can imagine what the, these ones will bring if he's getting coronated, like um, not too long before that, like a couple months before. Yeah, I mean, it's it just doesn't feel like a good omen for the um, sustenance of monarchy because, you know, Scorpio is a sign that has connotations of transformation. And in any sort of these big mundane charts, like a coronation of a leader, the inauguration of a president, um, the swearing in of a prime minister, look to the moon to see how the, feel, the people are feeling. And the people are not enthused. The moon is depressed in Scorpio. I mean, it speaks to the economic hardship that, you know, people in Britain as well as everywhere are probably feeling at that point, you know, in mutual perception with Mars, like kind of inflammatory. If you ask me, like, yeah, yeah. That eclipse is ruled by this Mars and fall, even though it it does try in the eclipse, but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it was not a wise choice. as far as I feel like the Mars, moon mutual reception during this eclipse is really good for people um so if people are really frustrated about something i think it's really good for collective action to like Mm -hmm. take a stand against something that they're not happy Mm -hmm. with um Mm -hmm. just thinking about a different part of the world thinking about china as well um Mm. because you know the chart for the current prc is like a very early aquarius rising with the moon on the ascendant and Mm -hmm. I was surprised to see that people were protesting because I was like, oh my goodness. And that was that Saturn-Mars trine that those protests started under. And I can't help but wonder if maybe there's going to be more collective unrest. So that would put this eclipse in the 10th house of the chart. And I really think that the people may really be frustrated with the leadership. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot of talk about how while like China's approach to zero COVID is not constructive for the people, it's been pretty stressful for the global economy. Them just kind of like rolling back their current restrictions at the rate that they're doing it right now. I mean, obviously things could change in six months, um, may create a lot of issues for the global supply chain. Also like they're a huge country. And if you have like pathogens spreading at a rate that that's that, that big, like it's just, it's a lot. And I could yeah. see there being like a real stress test for um, Xi Jinping um, during this period as well. Um, I couldn't see that. People are upset about like things. <laughs> yeah, people are upset. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is, this is actually a good segue into the, the big transit of this month is going to be Jupiter entering Taurus, Taurus. on May mm-hmm. 16th. Mercury stations direct in Taurus just a couple of days before. And because Pluto is now in Aquarius um, and then Mars will enter um, Leo on May 20th, the second half of May has a lot mm-hmm. of these hard aspects and the fixed signs. You you basically get this Mercury, Mars, 
Jupiter Pluto T square um, mm-hmm. going on. And um, but I want to make some notes on this Jupiter and Taurus. So um, you know, Jupiter and Taurus is peregrine. Um, it had triplicity in Aries and it rules like one bound in Taurus, and then that's it. The last time we had um, Jupiter and Taurus was June 4th, 2011 to June 10th, 2012. And there were actually a lot of major events that happened before the Ingress while Jupiter was still in Aries. And I think a lot of this is because at the time um, Uranus was there, right? And so, um, but, you know, when Jupiter entered Taurus, like the world's still dealing with after effects of these major events that happened while Jupiter was in Aries. Um, this includes, for example, Japan dealing with the after effects of the tsunami and Fukushima. <laughs> um, that had happened in March of that year. Um, and obviously that continued for years and years on, actually. Um, a lot of important figures died during the last Jupiter in Taurus, like Kim Jong-il, um, Steve Jobs, and then um, Muammar Gaddafi. Um, Trayvon Martin's murder happened during Jupiter and Taurus, which really, you know, kicked off um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And then, um, you know, on your points on the economy, there were, you might remember, there were rising gas and oil prices during this time. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Okay, so what you just said, um, I... (laughs) Okay, remember we. This will make sense when we get to the Venus retrograde point because this <laughs> Jupiter being in Taurus is going to set us up for that relationship between um, Jupiter and Venus because they're going to be squaring each other essentially for four months. And boy, will it be a time! I think it will be a time. So the way I think of um, Jupiter is, I think of it as collective values and like collective enjoyment not necessarily for like a like a pleasure sort of thing it's more meaning driven rather than pleasure driven whereas venus is more of this individual sort of what's good for me as an individual what feels good to me versus like what's important for everybody Mm -hmm. and i think that jupiter being in taurus is going to really expand that sort of um seeking of individual pleasure and fulfillment as um that's going to be like kind of a drive of the time i think especially with uranus being there (laughs) like i think um it's really going to change like what we value collectively and i think there's going to be this emphasis on you know stabilizing our resources you know trying to get a coherent sense of um you know, what's beautiful, what feels good, what tastes good, um, you know, what can we count on to, like, give us these things consistently? And, you know, it is ruling that Saturn in Pisces. So I think it's really driving home this, like, how is the government, how are the societies I'm a part of, how are the communities that I'm in allowing that to happen? Yeah, um, really good point about it ruling that Saturn in Pisces. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Jupiter square Pluto, I mean, I mean, with Jupiter saying things about wealth and Pluto Mm -hmm. saying things like Pluto, you know, disrupting, you know, our social fabric, right? Mm -hmm. I can't help but wonder if there are maybe develop, I mean, I haven't been tracking like crypto and things and other commodities, but I know that there's been this push to move away from fiat currency. Um, I know that. Russia is really big on this. They're like, okay, 
really trying to stick it to, you know, the global current global pecking order when it comes to finances. And I like what you said about um, rising oil prices. And I can't help but wonder if there's going to be this kind of trying to take us back to using these sorts of natural commodities, whether it's oil, whether it's gold, whether it's something else um, as like sort of that indicator of like true wealth as opposed to, you know, the sort of very abstract, like digital form of wealth as like currency and being this very like abstract thing. I feel like that may speak to some of this um, Jupiter, um, Pluto square, especially because Jupiter's in Taurus. I think a lot on wealth is going to come up in other ways as well. Because another thing that stands out to me about this like mid to end May astrology is you'll have this Jupiter and Taurus one. And then Mars mm -hmm. will be in Leo one. And then Pluto will be in Aquarius one. And when you think of what those three decans have in common, I really see that dichotomy between the haves and the have nots. Even in mm -hmm. Taurus one, when you look at the Rider Way artwork, even though you obviously see really like decrepit poor people in the foreground, um, even though there's no other people in there, it's still implied with like the church facade right behind them that there's, you know, um, like you know there's like there's a church authority or just like wealthier people out there you know in contrast to these poor people that you see um so yeah i do wonder what this period especially but jupiter and taurus in general will bring around just the growing um wealth disparities um in the u.s especially but you know globally too no literally everywhere and like mars just kind of describing maybe like anger on a personal level, collective level, and maybe the attempt to, because, you know, Mars and Uranus have this in common. They like to disrupt things. <laughs> they really like to disrupt things. And so I feel like there's this emphasis, again, on the fire signs of visibility. And I feel like there may be some people really trying to get people to read between the lines when it comes to, you know, haves and have nots. But I, I can also see it as um, just because Jupiter is the apex of that T-square. Mm -hmm. People who have resources and wealth, like, I mean, I, I don't want this to sound very, like, conspiracy theorist, because you have Pluto, which is, like, threatening that sort of um, social fabric that we have, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have Mars in that first part of Leo, which is, like, maybe competitive and bringing attention to, um, you know, the disparities between, you know, who gets to control the narrative, who gets to um, be in the spotlight, who gets attention. And, mm -hmm. you know, Jupiter kind of being in this position to, you know, balance the two sort of objectives. And I'm wondering if it could speak to people with influence um, kind of like fanning the flames a little bit um, mm. and supporting this sort of martial like assertion which kind of feeds into this like unraveling of a social fabric yeah i i also want to point out that the arab spring was taking place the last time jupiter was in taurus and what had sparked what people now like say is like the big event that had sparked the arab spring it actually i think happened while jupiter was in aries but it was a it was a Tunisian street merchant who self-emulated himself after um, just constantly being brutalized by the police around being able to do his business, mm -hmm. and um, 
So there's there's wealth <laughs> there's wealth disparities involved there. There's police brutality and um and that Arab Spring continued into Jupiter and Taurus. Um, I think what Jupiter um, or what the Arab Spring is also really well known for is just the use of Twitter to be able to organize. Um, and so um, I'm looking back at that time and um, I, I believe Jupiter was in Libra or Jupiter. Saturn was in Libra during that time. Mm-hmm. So I'm very yeah. curious to see what Saturn and Pisces um will bring um when it comes to yeah people just kind of being fed up and angry and perhaps like organizing yeah um especially this is interesting to think about because um once um venus i mean this could also segue us into i think june i believe because venus will move into leo um within the first week of june and like venus is trying to catch up with mars um, and mm-hmm. they don't quite connect. And I think that's a very interesting um, symbolic phenomenon to really think about uh, when you think about the relationship between those two planets. Oh, well, I think we yes. should start with the Jupiter conjunct the North Node while all of this is going on, because I think that that's kind of loud. I think it's very loud. Jupiter has not conjoined the North Node since June 2016. That happen- happened in Virgo at 16 degrees. On the literal exact day of this conjunction in 2016, the UK had left the um, EU and David Cameron stepped down as prime minister the next day. So, um, and then Jupiter hasn't conjoined the North Node in Taurus since May 1929. That was at 21 degrees and... That coincides with the rise of fascism in Europe. There was, um, you know, the Nazi party had already been rising. Mussolini had gotten um, elected as prime minister of Italy at around that time. Um, Also, some random story about Al Capone happened on the exact day of that conjunction where um, this ended up being immortalized in a lot of like, um, Mm -hmm. like, what do you call it? Mob movies um, after the fact. But he ended up like beating to death three people that were... Um, that he had hired to pull off a, um, I think a St. Valentine's Day massacre is what I remember. Um, but anyway, he accused him of turning on him. And the way he had done it was he had, he threw a party because he was like, oh, I really want to celebrate you all. And then everyone came and then he was like, he took a baseball pat and like beat all three of them to death. Oh my God. Like- no, it, to me, it's just, I mean, that's, that's probably the worst, like, possible manifestation of a Jupiter in the North Node, but, right, it's all very loud. He, like, he, like, <laughs> ate up all his friends, and, yeah. like, yeah, um, wow. I, I also think that the example with, uh, David Cameron is a bit funny, um, I mean, with Jupiter, like, representing, you know, sort of that, like, authority figure who maybe isn't, like, the well is the leader but like isn't like the leader so like i think of um the uk while yes the prime minister is like the a figurehead who's like the legislative head um he's not the the like official head of state on paper right um that's the monarch right and that's really interesting It, it just feels like some sort of like Maybe some alliance will be forged or consolidated at the expense of, like, eating up other ones. Like, that's what those, like, stories seem to suggest. Because, I mean, Brexit happening was, like, 
okay, we're like leaving this friendship because we want more resources for ourselves. And that's pretty funny because um, Jupiter was busted in Virgo. So it's like, okay, friendship <laughs> over. <laughs> friendship <laughs> over. I want my own resources. You know? yeah. yeah, Jupiter won't be as busted in Taurus, but still, it's also not dignified either. Um, so that's how we start off June. Um, and then we get this Venus and Leo that you had already mentioned, and that's on June 5th. And, um, we'll go into this later, but Venus will eventually station retrograde in the next month. But yeah, yeah, but the first thing she does is oppose Pluto. And, (laughs) um, so Venus Pluto aspects, I know everybody's like, Venus Pluto is so sexy. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had to learn that the hard way um, during that Venus Pluto conjunction after Venus went direct and she was like with Mars as well. Like, yeah, it was not. It was not very sexy. It was very much. um you had people obsessed with you. You had, um, you know, people stalking you. I mean, unfortunately for the people of Ukraine, that involved like major disruption to their enjoyment of their way of life, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like Venus being opposed to Leo. I think that again, Venus is going to represent that sort of prioritization of self over other, especially because it's in Leo. Like, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I'd imagine that collectively people are really focused on getting what's theirs um, and and demanding if- attention for it. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And then like because like it won't square um, Jupiter just yet. But something that I thought about, I don't know about you, but like with the Jupiter Venus like aspects, I just think there's this potential for opulence um, Yeah. in a way that's um, maybe fun for some people off-putting to a lot of other people um and you I know, can see with, that <laughs> with Pluto being in you know the sign base square like not really kind of testing the ways in which we are relating to each other I do see there being issues with maybe um you know how people are feeling like okay someone is very disconnected from my reality and how do I feel about them making decisions i really think about the jupiter piece as well because jupiter is answering to venus Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right and so this creates this problem where people are like wait a second how come you know i haven't been able to enjoy the things that i want to enjoy or like i want to prioritize you know these certain relationships and um jupiter is just kind of like maybe lining its pockets when it shouldn't <laughs> and you yeah. know that kind of I feel like what otherwise would be like you know a celebratory time where like so say there's like some ceremony like for the public whether it's like a celebration or like this that and the third um and just people being put put off by it because Pluto is just kind of there like really not making people able to enjoy it so I could totally see that. I could see that being, I mean, who knows? Like, for example, it could be some, like, celebrity wedding that, you know, the people involved, like, are really, like, thinking that, like, this is going to be the happiest moment, being super public about it, but it ends up coming off, like, 
really gaudy or um, yeah. overly opulent, like in a way that's just super distasteful. I could see something like that happening, <laughs> especially, oh. you know, with um, Venus going retrograde too, and that's like not exactly you know what I just thought of. I just thought about, um, I know it's not quite in this part of June, but it's in June. There's the, um, pla- there's like the, the, the Jubilee or whatever, or like, you know, the, the monarch's official birthday in the UK. And oh. I feel like people have been increasingly like, we can't eat. Uh, people can't eat their heat their homes. Um, and you know, like, I feel like we should talk about this with. Um, it'll, it'll make sense when we talk about Mars a little bit um, in a bit. Um, but like, you know, people in Europe do not believe in air conditioning, right? And they've had heat wave after heat wave the last few summers, and it's like people cannot like afford to stay comfortable at home and you have like the government putting on these like gross displays of wealth right um i don't i don't know if people are going to be um very enthused about what is happening agreed um you know on mars before we jump into the big transit of the month involving mars like um you know to round out just this is this discussion about venus in leo um, you mentioned this earlier, but I want to emphasize it again, that Mars will also be in Leo, um, so they'll be co-present, but Venus and Mars never conjoin. Um, it's because this is because Venus is slowing down about the station retrograde in July, and I want to also note that these two haven't been together since their long-ass conjunction through Capricorn and Aquarius in February, March 2022, and they're going to continue to not be together. They're going to just, like, again, barely miss each other. Um, I don't think we get that until, I believe, yeah, 2024. Yeah. yeah, and I think that um, it sounds like there will be, like, a lot of near misses for conflict. Because while, you know, for some people, Mars-Venus conjunctions can be very sexy. Um, but they can also be very combative. It's like, okay, I want to fight for, you know, what's mine and what I enjoy. And I'm going to pursue it at all costs, right? <laughs> um, but you never, you never have that full um, sort of fructification of that because there, there's always a near miss. So make yes. of that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and then Pluto regresses back into Capricorn on June 11th. So that's also about a week after that Venus um, in Leo. Um, about a few days after that, Saturn stations retrograde. It will not go back into Aquarius. It's going to stay in Pisces. Mm-hmm. So um, just so this pocket is interesting for a couple of reasons. So yeah. Saturn is spending a lot of time in that first decan of Pisces, which is its own decan. And I think a lot about, you know, as someone who has their ascendant there, um, <laughs> you know, that whole mm, things are saturated. I feel like I've gotten all I could possibly get out of a situation and maybe I need to go do something else. I kind of, it's not like necessarily for the sake of moving to greener pastures. It's like looking for a a deeper sense of meaning. Um, And, you know, usually benefits come from doing that. Right. Um, I feel like there's going to be this review where, you know, maybe in those Aquarius um, Capricorn parts of our lives, we're making this review. And I think it's ironic that literally like a week after Pluto moves back into Capricorn, which, you know, with the threat of the disruption of a lot of our social institutions, um, we're really reexamining the money trail, right? Because it's back in that last decade of Capricorn. And I think it's funny that a lot of this is happening after that 
Venus square Jupiter aspect, which I said, a lot of people are not really enthused about how money is being used. It's like, how does this benefit society? And people just kind of like questioning, like, is society as it's structured working? Um, going back to that following the money trail. And I think Saturn, like just forcing people to, you know, really rethink their relationship to these things. And I can't help but remember what you were saying about, unfortunately, with you know, Jupiter um, in Taurus with the North Node, especially like, you know, people turning to some of these like problematic ideologies, right? Because yeah. it's coming from a place of, you know, satiety. It's like one of those things where it's like, it's not a good idea to go grocery shopping when you're hungry because you make all <laughs> these decisions that are not great. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, That's such a good comparison. Oh my God. Yeah, like it's good for tourists. <laughs> good for tourists. Analogy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it just feels kind of like the midsummer will kind of instead of like a well not midsummer, it's like late spring, early summer. Like we're starting summer with that energy and we haven't even gotten to real summer yet. Like <laughs> and we're already having these sorts of crises. So we round out this month with a Mars Uranus square on June 26th. And I I think this is a really significant transit because Saturn has played a big part of this story um, since 2021. And then now Saturn's in Pisces. And so Pluto also <laughs> left just in time. Um, you know, Pluto, Pluto re-entered um, back into Capricorn, so won't be involved in this mix. And so this is purely like Mars and Leo, square Uranus and Taurus. Um, the last time we had the Leo Mars Uranus square was in July 2021. And um, I was telling... Um, I was telling Mo this, but um, I think one of the most significant, or actually, sorry. And I also want to point out that, um, so we, okay, yeah, in July, we had that Leo Mars Uranus square, but Saturn was there. <laughs> so Saturn was in, um, Saturn was in Aquarius in this T-square. Um, the last time we had a Mars Uranus square without Saturn was July 11th, 2019. This was also Leo Mars. And this that July um, was Noah had reported was the hottest month ever on record. And then that record was exceeded again in July 2021 <laughs> during that last Leo Mars Uranus square. And so I worry about July 2023 because, um, you know, the, the pattern repeats, then we really could get another record breaking um, hot July. Um, I know that I know we're technically talking about June, but this is end of June, right? So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I I do worry about the temperatures this summer. Yeah, especially because we're moving into this time where I think by then Mars should be, I think, approaching the last decan of Leo, and that's very um, inflammatory. It's very hot. Like it's not. If you're expecting like a cool summer, it's just giving um, heat wave. And so I would say that while Saturn um, has, so if you think about where um, Uranus, Mars, and Saturn have been in the Zodiac the last few years, um, I would say that even though the square between Saturn and Uranus didn't really perfect until both of them were in fixed signs, 
when um, Saturn entered Capricorn, there was still that sign-based um, aspect between Uranus in Aries and, you know, Saturn and Capricorn. Mm-hmm. I can't help but wonder if now that Saturn has moved on and is not going to have that sort of relationship with either of those planets for quite some time, if, you know, some of this heat that we may experience will be unchecked. Um, Something else that I thought about was, you know, this past summer uh, during that Mars conjunct Uranus but square Saturn, I remember in California there was like this notice to shut off AC because... It was so hot there that um, they're like, hey, the, you know, the power grid cannot withstand all of you using air conditioning, like, and people need to shut off their AC. And I can't help but wonder if there's going to be something like very similar, except like with Saturn not being able to maybe enforce some rules and structure around that, it just being a very um, intense experience for a lot of people. Um also, because Venus is, you know, building up towards her retrograde at this point, mm-hmm. I do worry about what this means for, um, you know, um, society collectively. Um, it's just feeling like a very inflammatory time as well. Like, I think between, you know, the, the irate heat for those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere and... Um, just some of these issues around, um, you know, how we all relate to each other just because Venus is like pretty close, but she won't square Uranus, I think for another couple weeks or something, or maybe a few days. Um, it's just really tense. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, yeah, it is tense. I think, um, the climate crisis is just one way, um, that, that could manifest in July, 2020 or June, July, 2023. Um, I think some of the other things I wanted to point out from the previous Mars Uranus squares was, um, oh yeah, there were wildfires in Canada in the July, 2021 mm-hmm. one, obviously caused by the heat. Um, mm-hmm. co- global COVID, COVID deaths um, had milestones both times as well. Like the July, 2021 one was like, um, we surpassed 4 million and then we surpassed 6 million in the March, 2022 one. And then mm-hmm. in the August 2022 one, that's when monkeypox got officially declared um, as a pandemic. Um, there were also just like, um, I, I also want to, I, I just think back to the 2019 uh, Mars Uranus square. This one's without Saturn, right? But Iran had breached its uranium stockpile limit. Do you remember that? And that ended oh, up being yeah. like a whole issue around um, like nuclear power, which listen. Um, <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that because again, like Mars is moving through these degrees before Venus will, and she will spend a lot of time in that part of Leo. And I think if any of uh, any of you have the chance to listen into our um talk for KazimiCon about um you know, Venus star points and Venus retrogrades through the decans. There was a lot of stuff in, you know, 2015 in particular around Iran and its um, nuclear program, so to speak. So um, I think it's interesting that Mars and Uranus will get to this point where that may start to become more of a flashpoint, especially like if you've been following the news lately. I saw maybe a couple of days ago there was this... Um, report that came out that oh russia and iran are building this unprecedented alliance and that being problematic on several fronts so um just just watch that space i think (laughs) so yeah 
Um, I think this is a good segue into July. I think so too. So July, <laughs> um, Venus retrograde, as you said, really is the main attraction this month. It stations retrograde again at the energetic degree. There's a lot of that this year, but it's going to be at 29 degrees Leo. Um, Venus was last retrograde in Leo in August 2015, though that station happened in Virgo first on July 25th. Um, and then it like moved into Leo. Um, back then, I, I think it's interesting to know that Venus was squaring Saturn and trining Uranus, but now it'll be squaring Uranus and will be an aversion to Saturn. In both times, Jupiter was in fixed signs. So in the 2015 one, Jupiter was in Leo too. Um, now it'll be in Taurus. Um, on a personal note, I'm excited about this. I got married right before the last Venus retrograde in Leo in 2015. Um, I, I think all the stuff you've said on the more mundane level, I think it'll be very uh, like a much more interesting kind of um, perhaps a messy, heated time. So yeah, um, just like looking at different things that were um, going on, like there was a lot of i mean i feel something that i worry about with venus retrograde and leo because i remember going back to some of the ones like in 2007 in the 90s and there was a lot of stuff and tension going on in eastern europe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially around you know the sovereignty of nations that you know were part of the former like yugoslav republic as well as you know former nations of you know the soviet union it's like okay how do you organize these people who are all like just different ethno-religious groups living in these countries and like maybe having these complicated relationships with one another. And I can't help but wonder if, you know, some of these events, especially like with Mars going through there first and then Venus going there after, like it seems like the Venus retrograde in that part of the Zodiac is really tied into some of the regional conflict in that part of the world. And so I just worry that like, and I don't know if anybody's been like following the news, especially with the World Cup, like mm -hmm. people complaining that, um, oh, it's like, how come Serbia or Croatia can like display these like political messages that are, you know, negatively targeting places like Kosovo, um, which is trying to maintain its personal sovereignty. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, like whenever they're trying to like post some kind of like message of you know, seeking solidarity, it gets shut down. And so a lot of that dialogue seems to be um, coming back up. And I actually watched some videos suggesting that, um, you know, some like all of these other countries like Turkey, China, um, Russia are like maybe competing for influence in that region. Um, now that like, you know, the EU has kind of got its own internal drama going on. And then, um, the U.S. is just like focused on other things. And so that being sort of like a potential powder keg that could get set off by, you know, some of this Uranus stuff now that Saturn is not there. Yeah, to, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you're bringing up some of this stuff that you you went into much more detail on, of course, in our Venus star point talk. So folks mm -hmm. should definitely listen back to that if they want to hear more. Um I am especially intrigued, though, by the events that happened during the last um, um, Leo um, or Venus and Leo um, retrograde in 2015, because 
the um, Libra, like the the nodes were also in Libra and Aries during that time. And that's like another big transit that happens in this upcoming July is that um, we have the the nodes moving into Aries and Libra on July 18th. And then that Venus retrograde happens on July 22nd. So when I think back to like what was happening in 2015 um, when we had both of those things going on, it was like both that Venus retrograde as well as like the nodes um, in Libra and Aries. Um, as you mentioned, just like a lot happening um, with um, these European countries and their sovereignty, even like even Greece, for example, receiving its economic bailout, like um, that brings up a mm-hmm. lot of issues around like, um, economic sovereignty right um and then yeah. um and then there was a lot happening with u.s cuba or like diplomatic relations um you know the fact that the embassy they opened the u.s embassy there for the first time in a long time and just the mm-hmm. resuming of those relations after 54 years um yeah that is so comical that you bring that up because it makes me really think a lot of um what's it called so it makes me think a lot of like China was having its own economic meltdown in 2015. Mm-hmm. They had to devalue their currency. There's a lot of stuff with the devaluation of currency as well. And it comes back to this um, thing that will probably make more sense, you know, when um, Pluto goes back into Aquarius. But um, remember we were saying about, you know, Jupiter in Taurus, maybe like getting us to rethink our relationship to wealth and like what that's tied to. And, you know, because Uranus is there, I can't help but wonder if, there's going to be this really hard look at, okay, how useful is um, defining wealth or value or the prices of commodities in relation to, you know, our belief in the um, the strength of a particular government? I think that that is going to be questioned a lot, especially because it's like Venus is squaring Uranus during this time. And a lot of people have accurately pointed out that um, Uranus's movement through Taurus has brought a lot of questions about currency and mm-hmm. um you know the things we assign value to and how stable those are and i mean with all of the talk about um recession if you look back at the um venus retrograde in leo in 20 oh, sorry 2007 um that was when the first signs of the housing bubble falling apart um mm. really collapsed and you know led into you know, the financial crisis of 2008. And I can't help but wonder if that's when the shoe is going to drop on recession type stuff. Yeah. So. I, whew. Um, it's, it, it, July is a pretty wild month because we already went over what's happening on the fixed, um, for the fixed signs with this Venus retrograde and, and then the, actually really like every one of the modalities is going to get hit in some way, shape somewhere. or form. Um, and, but yeah, we talked about the Venus retrograde. <laughs> now let's talk a little bit more about this nodal shift into Aries and Libra that is going to um, take place until January 29, 2025. So, um, you know, the nodes return to the same axis every nine years, but it's every 18 years where it's like that full nodal return. So mm-hmm. um, 18 years ago was when the last time we had the North Node in Aries. Mm-hmm. Um 
nine years ago is the last time we had the North Node in Libra. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> that again, that, that's happening on July 18th. Um, I, I do when I look back at so the, like, like I had mentioned earlier, the last time that Libra North Node happened was nine years ago in that 2014 2015. We just recapped some of the events that happened then. Um, but the one, um, the last time Aries, the North Node was in Aries was in from November 2004 through June 2006. And I also think there's some similarities <laughs> during that time, especially around like diplomatic relations. Um, kind of freaks me out that nuclear weapons also came up during that time. This one was around North Korea claiming that they had nuclear weapons and then yeah. eventually like agreeing that they will stop um, if they get some um, forms of aid. Um, right. We also had... Um, yeah, like I had said in earlier, and I do think it's worth mentioning again, that YouTube and Twitter started um, during the last time the North Node was in Aries. Oh, I, you know what happened? So yeah. I think this is around the time when Facebook um, was expanding as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they were expanding to other campuses yeah. during um, this period. And they when weren't did- public yet. When yeah, when did they go public again? When it was like anyone outside of college could join? I can't remember if it was two thousand. Um, I feel like it was. It was right after this they went public. So when the nodes moved into Virgo Pisces, I think. But yeah, no, this is when they were expanding to other campuses. Yeah. I am going to look this up real quick because I'm very curious if it was while these this is still happening. Um, but yeah, I really don't remember off the top of my head. But yes, I mean, nonetheless, Facebook was definitely rising up during this time. Um, but so are Twitter and YouTube. Um, so as we were saying earlier, I wouldn't be surprised if this leads to either completely new social media networks or just completely whole different ways of connecting that, like, I can't even really envision right now. Yeah, I mean, no, that's really interesting. Uh, I'm also thinking about, like, some of these other events you have here, like the major, like, loss of, like, a like an authoritarian figure, like, especially, like, one that has a lot of symbolic um importance so and i love how you brought up charles marrying camilla you know what's funny i think they actually got married on an eclipse oh god of course these royals it was in it was in aries they got married on a solar eclipse in aries i believe um it was it's really funny um oh my god and i think it's interesting because it speaks to them like finally getting to you know be on the throne i mean i don't i have other reasons for being like i don't think that's going to be a very long experience but um still symbolic nonetheless Hmm. yeah um actually facebook opened to the public um very soon after this nodal um shift so it was september 2006 so they're clearly gearing up for that during this time though yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but I love like the contrast with the last time the nodes were in this axis, regardless. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, huh. Yeah. Lots to unpack here. I mean, we could go on. <laughs> Lots to unpack. Oh. I mean, what does worry me is that um, that Iraq war thing. 
mm-hmm. especially the, mm-hmm. the mythology around why we went, like that whole thing being um, fabricated, so to speak. It's like this is why we need to do this thing, right? Um, that, uh, yeah, no, that's um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah the Iraq we wars we were, were some. <laughs> um, even you know, and the, the one in um, 2014, 2015, that was like Russia's annexation of Crimea. So and, interesting you know, we're where still, we are now. Exactly. Interesting. interesting where we are now. So um I don't think it's over, um, unfortunately. Just like what's happening with Russia and Ukraine and just that region. Um, so. one thing I do wanna comment on, which is comical to me, because like during this time, because um, I see some overlap with when the Venus retrogrades in Leo would have happened. Mm-hmm. And the last time we had that, um, the then president, sorry, not president, prime minister of Canada, um, Stephen Harper triggered an election, which resulted in Justin Trudeau becoming tri- prime minister. And so um, I am really curious to see um, what's going to happen there, because um, I mean, we're not due for an election unless he triggers a snap one, because we already had one in 2021. So he would be good until 2025. Um, but unless he's like trying to seek a majority again. Mm-hmm. Who knows? <laughs> so who knows? Um, yeah. That, that's interesting. But yeah. no, I think this nodal shift is interesting because uh, the way that I frame this with clients, and I really love this because we're still in a nodal period where we have back-to-back emphasis on Venus and Mars as the rulers. Mm. But which one is more important? like not more important but which one is like you're hungering for versus which one you're satiated by it flips so it's like okay mm-hmm. we've been doing we've been obsessed with venusian principles as it relates to you know um consolidating what feels good maximizing that um finding things that can reliably sustain us and make us feel comfortable maybe at the expense of you know realizing that the only constant is change and that, you know, we have to like let go of certain things. Um, Whereas we're moving into this very like Mars focused principle of like, okay, we did the comforting thing. You know, maybe we secured like the relationships that we rely on. And it's more um, about, you know, focus on the self or the focus on like initiating and like, you know, Mars has that consequence of severing. So I do think that there's just going to be this emphasis on that severing energy rather than holding things together, which is yeah. what we need to do. So yeah, I, I agree. And on that, that reminds me, the, the one last thing I wanted to point out for um, this nodal shift is that when the when the north node was in libra last that 2014-2015 liquid water was found on mars and Mm. as we all know like there's been constant discussion around colonizing mars and um you know all that so Mm. i I wouldn't be surprised that that comes up again you know more billionaires going up into space they all need Um, to go there (laughs) and not come back and, yeah. <laughs> um, but when when the North Node was in Aries um, in 2004 to 2006, that was when the dwarf planet Eris was discovered, which has been and will continue to be in the sign of Aries um, oh until 2044. I think it's you know it's the second largest dwarf planet um, in our solar system. Very interesting. No, that's very interesting. Um... But yeah, I mean, we're kind of like working backwards through the month because we are sorry. (laughs) um, It's okay, but it's just like 
we got to tell you the big things before we go back to, you know, the smaller things. I mean, one thing I do want to comment on is that Mars into Virgo. Yes. Um, and this, and this is a big is, um... deal because, you know, now we're getting these Mars Saturn oppositions in the mutable signs. Mm-hmm. I yeah we, we as we told you all the different um, modalities get hit this month so we don't want the middles to feel left out because <laughs> oh, we do get gonna left out. <laughs> not gonna be left out we are getting this um mars and virgo and, and as as mo said gonna be opposing saturn on july 20th um yeah <laughs> that feels loud though with the north node going into aries and then mars making that opposition with saturn so there's this element of sort of frustration and i think that's when it peaks um i've also noticed that just mars saturn um hard aspects just over the last two years have just been really difficult in terms of like pandemic stuff and like Mm -hmm. restrictions and Mm -hmm. i can't help but wonder if people are just going to be mm, especially because saturn doesn't have dignity anymore and the reception between them is not particularly great so um there's no there's no inclination to really listen to anything saturn wants to impose agreed um it's not <laughs> um yeah there is definitely that and then on top of that they're both um this mars and this um saturn are ruled by planets and fixed signs <laughs> that are also going through it so mm-hmm. it just seems like there's a lot of it's an opposition it's just like that's just not really gonna budge yeah no the mercury square uranus is really coloring this configuration just because mars is in virgo and um you know mercury square uranus i I don't know just with all the things we've talked about already it just feels like this gradual maybe breakdown in communication Mm -hmm. um especially if people are trying to assert their own personal will and objective Mm -hmm. because that's what it seems like july is going to have a lot of and also august Agreed. Yeah, I think this is actually a good segue into August if you're ready because yeah. um because um the Virgo Pisces oppositions continue, but at the on July 28th, so this is like before August obviously, Mercury will be in Virgo. So now we have this Mercury in domicile and exaltation involved with this Virgo Pisces opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, then Mercury will station retrograde <laughs> in yeah. Virgo. Um, uh, pretty close to Mars too. So yeah. it's, um, I don't know. I feel like Mercury, like the last like week of July through much of August is not really great for um communication because on the one hand like you know as we're building up to mercury moving into virgo like i feel like mercury squaring uranus and then conjoining venus after its stations is like kind of loud because it's like maybe this breakdown of communication happens and then mercury's just kind of i feel like mercury's kind of a trickster planet and kind of likes to you know start things and so i just feel like mercury's like pouring gasoline all over venus and it's like hey have at it um and then goes into virgo where it's like i don't thinks it has to not deal with consequences but because it's on access to the malefics at the beginning of august Uh i think i think there will be like a recognition for why mercury did those things but um maybe maybe, i'm sorry i'm sorry 
But does it get enclosed by the malefics? I think or? it does. No, it does. It definitely does. I think oh, I just God. can't remember when that's happening. I, I actually want to look at that. It for sure gets enclosed by the malefics. Like it's August one where Mercury opposes Saturn. Let me pull this chart up real quick. I gotta know. Um. Um. Yeah, that that's yeah. like an enclosure to me. It's enclosed. It's <laughs> yeah. No, as soon as it perfects the opposition, it enters that enclosure. Yeah. Um, Jupiter doesn't even like supersede because um Jupiter is kind of like right outside, like that trine to yeah. Mars. Yeah. <laughs> um and you know, Jupiter trines tend to be nice, but I, I almost feel like this one's just gonna increase like the bullshit. Yeah, I mean because if we want to be technical, like right after this, um, I think Jupiter does like enter that. So Jupiter will break up the enclosure at times, like, but as soon as Mercury moves out, it means Jupiter is enclosed. I mean, it's by trine, so and sextile, so it's not nearly as tense as it could be, but like it's still not a pleasant experience for Jupiter because you're trying to reconcile the unstoppable force and the immovable object i mean they're not as rigid in their unstoppable nature um but because they're mutable and not fixed so there's room to maneuver i think more so than when we had these configurations in 2022 and 2021 but it's still not going to be especially because the dignity of a lot of these planets is not that great to be honest it, it just mm -hmm. feels like really trying to move things also because a lot of these things are in water and um yeah. earth signs there can be yeah. a slowness to um this slowness to um saturn's ability to stop things but also mars's ability to get things moving if mm -hmm. that makes sense and i don't know i also feel like while mercury um is you know exalted in domicile i i do think that that enclosure speaks to having to answer to maybe some of the little antics it was pulling in the last part of um you know <laughs> it's like it, it, it's kind of like you know all the 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 myths you hear about hermes just like finally getting called out like on his tricks um but he always does ultimately he never really gets punished for and no. especially like mercury and domicile and exaltation like i do think that is the positive part of this transit like it is still a very very strong mercury is this mercury in its own decan too in the first part yes in the first part yeah, yeah. um so I think that Mercury's like, okay, I did a necessary evil and like, hey, getting getting rewarded for it. And, mm -hmm. you know, just with all of these placements moving, especially Venus at this point, um, being in that last decan of um, Leo also squaring, you know, um, Uranus in that last decan of Taurus, I think that there is this sort of maybe like weirdly political undertone as well to a lot of the mm. events that are happening and i feel like mercury is just like look i had i did what i had to do because i have to give voice to these issues and maybe people having this sort of respect for that and acknowledgement of that i mean there will be consequences for it but just not as intense as they would be say if 
all of this was happening during that Saturn in Aquarius, Mars in Leo sort of opposition. Agreed. Agreed. Um, on August 13, we get that Venus Cassini. Right after the Venus Uranus square. Um, And I really feel like because Uranus is answering to Venus, there's this need to reevaluate what's going on in the Taurus part of our lives, maybe reevaluating our connection to resources and the value we put in them and how that's honoring how we want to express ourselves, like for sure. And that speaking to that Kazemi is like pretty loud. Um, yeah, on that day, the moon is also in Cancer. And then as we'd said, Mercury will be in Virgo. So it, it's it's interesting that we get these like domiciled planets like on that day. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I'm like kind of worried about what this means like politically because like as um, people like Nick Dagan Best have pointed out that Venus retrogrades tend to also involve sort of this breakdown in social relationships especially Mm -hmm. between different groups. Um, Mm -hmm. And just with that square to Uranus and like all the things that have gone on, especially like with respect to, you know, more right-wing or conservative elements, like, um, you know, trying to regulate the activities of women and queer people, especially. Um, Something Mm -hmm. else that's interesting that I just realized a couple of days ago is um, Black Moon Lilith, I think the mean calculation is finally at this part of Leo while all this Whoa. is happening. And I remember wow. Austin Kopic in one of the forecasts made a very astute observation about the association between Lilith and matters of like abortion or children. Wow. And yeah. I can't help but wonder if a lot of people are going to be really riled up about abortion rights or something related to abortion. I, I can't help but wonder if that's going to be implied i could see that happening as well as just other issues around you know with women relationships um this venus uranus square um happened because of venus is retrograde right like we get this venus uranus square three times um the first one is july 2nd there's the one this month on august 9th and then there's going to be a third one on september 29th and when um you know when like yeah um like the venus like a leo venus uranus square isn't uncommon like we've had these like every year since uranus entered taurus um Mm -hmm. in 2018 but what makes this one different is one it happens three times um two saturn's gone we haven't had like a saturn free um venus uranus square since september 2020 and so i look back at what happened during that time and Mm -hmm. um one, like the Kardashians announced the end of keeping up with the Kardashians uh, or that it was going to end in the following year. As we know now, they ended up with a new show. Um, <laughs> MK also talked publicly about why she reconciled with Kanye, which we also know <laughs> where that's at now. Did not work out. Yeah. <laughs> Did not work out. Um, Johnny Depp got his defamation lawsuit against Amber Heard postponed during that time because of the pandemic. Um, and then on um, the nicer side of things, um, Gigi Hadid and Zayn had their baby during that transit. Yeah, and then you know, there was a lot of. Oh, oh and then, God, then there was also giving, a lot of. I'm oh, sorry. It's giving surprise celebrity divorce, especially because yeah. Venus is going to go back and square. Jupiter. 
Oh my god, you cannot yeah. make this up. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> we this is all so close to the new moon in Leo too. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Like look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot. There's just also this yeah, the sun square Uranus. Um Mars trying Uranus. <laughs> like that's all happening on that week. Lord, I mean, yeah, it's just giving like maybe someone makes that big like maybe controversial decision around like, you know, relationships, seeking pleasure. I mean, if people are like staging some sort of massive like political action because, you know, people are trying to restrict the rights of um women and queer people, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that stuff is happening and people are just really loud and like fed up with you know having to put up with these things and so I, I don't know it's just um really loud I also something that I think about a lot is as well um I know there are all these calls for like um the royals to strip um Megan and Harry of their titles oh yeah and yeah. I can't help but wonder um let's see just because of the stuff it's hitting in Harry's chart um like it hits his moon and um I don't think it's like, but this is just after Megan's solar return. I can't help but wonder if um, maybe there's something related to that. Something else I could also see is like people just being fed up with like people in authority in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people in authority in general. And so just them um, being in a position to, um, you know, rethink their um, relationship to those people and who they want to like rally behind so to speak. I do worry that this also has connotations of you know, certain people with um, fascistic or nationalistic tendencies to get um, mm. you know, get a lot more airtime than they should. So I could see something like that. Um, Did anything happen with them in during the last Venus retrograde? Sorry, I mean, I mean, I mean they, they, they weren't even together at that point. Um, they weren't together at that point. Um, twenty fifteen, I'd have to like look at what he was doing, but I know it was in twenty fifteen he left the army oh. and he. No, he, so, like, sorry, I meant I meant the one in Capricorn, like the last like one we just had in December. Um, I'm trying to think, like. I can't remember, like, if anything happened with them per se. Um, I don't, not that I, not that I know of. I guess I'm just um, curious because, you know, as Venus entered Capricorn recently, right? Now this Netflix documentary gone I mean, it's. I feel like whatever's happening in Capricorn is loud because it's his first house. And I remember it was um, not too long after the, I think it was either the Cancer Eclipse or... No, it was the, or the Capricorn eclipse where Jupiter was, because that was like all right on his ascendant. Like they left, they decided to leave not too long after that. Um, And I remember that being really, um, I think that was also around Saturn Pluto time as well. Like that's when they decided to, you know, break away from the firm and uh, that being like a really big deal. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, that's also another um it's also another thing that comes up i really wouldn't be surprised yeah um wow (laughs) really funny but um regardless i think um after we get all these major hits in leo it's like all the emphasis 
seems to go to whatever's going on in Virgo, right? Yes. Yes. Because we, on August 23rd, we get this um, Mercury in Virgo stationing retrograde. So it's continuing these retrogrades in the Earth triplicity. Um, and yeah, by this point, there will be, um, so it's Mercury retrograde in Virgo. Um, we also have the sun and then, Virgo. Um, yeah, the sun moves into Virgo and then do we still have Mars? Yes. Mars we still, still Mars. there, opposing Neptune. <laughs> opposing Neptune. The same day, like, uh... Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like if you're really trying to, like, be on your grind in the Virgo part of your life, because I find... Mars and Virgo is very meticulous about, you know, creating different systems. So I feel like if you were really inspired after Mars's time in Leo to like get some systems going in your life, I think that'll go pretty well for the most part. I mean, Saturn will bring some kind of like obstacle or delay, but I think the first part of Mercury being in Virgo could be constructive for that because um, mm-hmm. it's got this very diagnostic dissecting. I think of dissection a lot with respect to um, Mars and uh, Mercury, but like I feel like a lot of that screeches to a halt a little bit because Mars will oppose Neptune and then Mercury goes retrograde, which is um, not fun for, you know, trying to get things trudging along. And then Mars, just a few days after it opposes Neptune, will be in Libra. <laughs> it's detriment. So. so it really slows down. And, you know, you go from, you know, trying your best to, you know, make things happen on your own to realizing you kind of have to depend on other people and that being a very um, stressful experience. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I had to say about August. Do you want to move into September? I mean, I will note that Uranus goes retrograde while... Oh, yeah. Venus is also retrograde still. So that is also a very funny thing. Um, you know, I, I know that some people get a lot out of retrograde stations on a mundane level, and I'm sure that they are intense, but like, I just haven't found anything that like really sticks out to me usually. So yeah. I'm sure there might be some event that, you know, may speak to some of these issues that Venus and the sun and all these other planets squaring it. Um, may have brought up so yeah yeah september september <laughs> so i this one does begin with some stations we do pretty early in september get venus stationing direct um and then jupiter stations retrograde four hours it's yeah. crazy um <laughs> that is really loud to me because they will have just like literally squared each other like a week before yeah. And the way I've been framing this with clients is, um, you know, with Venus going direct in Leo, you get clear, uh, like about a lot of your desires, especially if they center on, you know, how you want to, um, you know, honor certain facets of yourself that you want to project to the world, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Jupiter describes, like I was saying, more of that collective need or that collective value or like what's meaningful on a collective level. And, you know, Venus is like you getting clear on that, but then Jupiter being like, okay, how does this relate to like a collective need and just needing to revisit that? I also do think that this like Venus Jupiter square period, because they're going to be like in a close square for like a few weeks because of the station of both planets. And there could be this tendency towards opulence and excessive optimism. And mm, it might feel good right now but i don't think the consequences of it will be particularly constructive 
Yeah. <laughs> Especially in those middle decades mm-hmm. of Leo and Taurus, right? I um yeah, just to recap the dates on that, as you said, they had already squared that that went exact on August 22nd. And then when these stations happen, they're already within three degrees of each other. And then mm-hmm. that station that, that square goes exact again on September 29th. So this is a very longer than usual transit for these two. Yeah. And I, I mean, I find that, um, like, no offense to um, Earth and fire signs, because the dry quality of those signs, they're not as concerned with um, connecting people. In fact, they're more about creating distinction, right? And there can be a, um, a self-involved quality of those planets. And so we have a planet that's associated with wealth and a planet that's associated with pleasure, um, in those signs with the planet that's associated with pleasure ruling the planet associated with wealth. I can't help but wonder if there's going to be maybe some issues or tension around um, maybe how certain people use the guise of collective value and agenda to further their own personal Mm. aims. So there is that. There, yeah, that's a, (laughs) i'm curious to see what will happen with that because already now right like people especially after this whole debacle with congress and the biden administration like not like really screwing over the rail workers Mm -hmm. there has been a lot of talk about whether certain progressives are really as progressive as they claim (laughs) yeah it's it's an experience and i think it's funny because like again jupiter's in that middle decan of taurus which is really driving that home and then you have venus being in you know the middle part of leo which is kind of like i see it as like getting kickbacks just because you know you're you're just kind of there and you're like just kind of benefiting from things not necessarily because you put in the work or anything and that being a real problem i i could see that being a source of tension for people that's um, a that's a um that's a Jupiter ruled Deccan that Venus uh-huh. would be into, right? <laughs> uh huh. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I'm like really quickly trying to see um any famous people who have this tra- the, these planets natally because I'm just like really curious. Um, former President William Howard Taft. <laughs> as oh. leo venus <laughs> jupiter <laughs> taurus oh um and i mean sadly I, I, I like and again this is not like i i don't mention this to um you know be fat phobic or anything but that is one of the things that taft is like most known for right is being our um largest u.s president because he got stuck in his bathtub twice um while being president um but you know he was also president during a time where you know it was like the robert robber baron era right yeah just like a lot of um critiques around just the opulent wealth of mm-hmm. the industrialists in comparison with there was it was also the rise of labor unions as a result of that yeah it's also interesting because you know different governments were probably you know secretly in bed with these um or like corporate people so that they could maintain their wealth. But I could also see it being a time because something that I worry about, um, especially, I mean, Pluto is not an Aquarius at this point, but I think this will increasingly become a question. Like there's been a lot of questions about the, mm, 
utility of, you know, our government, right? Can we really rely on them to take care of us? And I know that one justification during this age of, you know, having people who are mega rich is that a lot of them do give back, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of them, you know, were responsible for the construction of a lot of these parks we enjoy, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, these libraries we like, um, it wasn't the government who did that. It was rich people. And <laughs> unfortunately, um, we have a lot of questions about democracy and if it's useful and who is it serving. Um, I do fear that maybe this configuration could lead to maybe that justification of having that ultra wealthy class, especially if they are in a position to you know, um, bring about, um, you know, the prosperity of people where -hmm. the government fails to, right? Mm -hmm. So. Which again, I mean, sadly, you you mentioned, you know, the potential rise of, um, or continued rise of fascism, right? And that has often been in the past, the justification for fascist and authoritarian regimes is, you know, like the infamous saying of like, oh, like Mussolini, like kept the trains running. On time. Um, On time, okay, I mean, yeah. great, but, um, <laughs> but great for whom? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, those are like some questions. That, and I think it's interesting and timely that like it's during Virgo season while Mercury is retrograde that a lot of these things are, you know, being thought about, which is funny because like, not too long after that sort of like stationing of both planets, you know, you get that Mercury Kazemi in Virgo, mm-hmm. which is pretty close to a trine with Jupiter mm-hmm. at that point. So, I mean, I also think of that um, artisanal nature of that middle decan of um, Virgo, and I can't help but wonder um, if maybe there's some sort of project or undertaking that does benefit the collective and it does send, serve like a purpose of bringing the sort of enjoyment or stability or comfort to the collective but again you know being used to justify um wealth inequality and um things like that it's like oh here's the necessary evil to get the things you enjoy yeah. yeah, we had talked yeah. earlier about just there, there is going to be increasing construction of infrastructure, like these charging stations and amongst other things. And that has always led to the displacement of like mostly black and brown communities, low income communities. So I could I could totally see that happening. Yeah. I and mean, then I think it's interesting that in parallel, like again, within 24 hours, you get the Mercury stationing direct and then you get Venus square Jupiter. So again, like I feel like that first half of um, September is really um, bringing to the forefront a lot of these issues. Um, funny thing, like just moving to the end of the month, I think it's funny that like about a week after you know, the sun moves into Libra, you get that Venus square Uranus again, because it's ruling yeah. the sun. And this time the sun is really unhappy. So mm-hmm. maybe a good time to humble some people. <laughs> it, also, it also rules that Mars that's still going to be in Libra. right? Oh, and very good point. <laughs> very good point. And I remember the Venus Mars Mercury conjunction, I think it was 2021 when all of that happened. And they were all just in Libra and it's like, it wasn't good for Mars. It wasn't good for the sun. And mm-hmm. 
I mean, they won't conjoin again until Scorpio, but that's, um, I think that's what, November that that, that happens? Um, yes, yes, yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I feel like after the first, like, part of the month, like, September is, like, a lot slower. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can segue into October, I think. I think so too. Um, you know, on on even just that note on the slowness, it's a little different than you know twenty twenty two astrology really kicked up in the second half of the year. <laughs> I think twenty twenty three is like oh my god, there's so much to talk about and so much happening in like that first half and even into the summer, it does seem to slow down a little bit <laughs> yeah. by the end of the year. Yeah, it it slows down like quite a bit, and instead of having this like concentration on the fixed signs like there is stuff happening in the fixed signs i feel like unlike 2022 2023 has a little something for everybody i would say mostly the mutables mostly the fixed signs still but you know the cardinals start to get some action yeah Um, i the first note i want to make about october is that every planet except i think mars um at some point hold on let me let me double check this real quick um yeah, Mar- Mars, okay, Mars does start the month, actually, um, in Libra still, but will enter Scorpio on the 12th, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, up until that point, every planet, um, except for the moon, of course, because it moves so fast, are going to be in Venus's domiciles and exaltation this month, and it's going to be a Venus and Virgo opposing Saturn. <laughs> yeah, um, wait, when did Venus move into Virgo? Oh. Venus moves, moved into oh, it hasn't moved yet yeah in october it, it, it happens on october 8th so i feel Got like it. that really kicks off like october 8th on you get this very like this the the astrology is going to be so ruled by venus we have two eclipses this month that are going to be in venus ruled signs both of them mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um i also like that in october a lot of these planets start making their first pass over um the south node in mm-hmm. libra and mm-hmm. So, I mean, that Mars one, so I'm, like, in the Vedic camp where, um, you know, South Node K2, very much like Mars, um, North Node Rahu, more like Saturn. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, um, the North Node is struggling to have a form, right? Saturn wants to have a form, even though, like, the things that the head is representing are, like, not real. They want to become real as planets Mm -hmm. can join them, whereas, like, you know, Mars wants to separate and sever things, and the South Node wants to, like, disengage from things. It's very much like, I want no parts of this. Cut me off from whatever's going on. And so with Mars conjoining the South Node before it moves into Scorpio, I think that's, um, it's like a very intense, like, energy. And because, like, Libra does have connotations of relating to others, but I would argue that it, it has more to do with seeking equilibrium or... um consensus with people Mm -hmm. and i feel like with mars and the south node coming together in that last decan of libra i like to joke that it's the damned if you do damned if you don't decan and sometimes if you want to keep the peace or um you know uh maintain equilibrium you have to take an action and a decisive one um and i feel like it is the more decisive decan of libra as the you know the last decans of air signs tend to be a little more decisive um 
Absolutely. I have a lot to say about that last second of Libra because so much of the astrology revolves around oh, that, that last decade of Libra, of Libra especially yeah. this part of the year. Um, yeah. Phew. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, I... Um, well, let me just make sure I'm not going super, super out of order. So yes, so we have Mars conjoining the South Node on October 4th. Then we have Venus entering Virgo. Venus will be in its fall on October 8th. Um, you know, Venus does have like some dignity in Virgo, right? Because of triplicity, um, because mm-hmm. of um, it rules. That second decade? Second decade, yeah. Yeah, the second decade. And also rules like a large bound, I think, in around that area. The second decade. Well. She's also co-ruler of the last decade as well, which has this like finality to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting Venus to be ruling all nearly like the entire chart of the month. Mm-hmm. Um and then um, we get on October 10th, we get Pluto stationing direct. So um, I, I don't interesting to- because it's also like opposite Mars yeah. and or sorry, squaring Mars. And again, like I feel like these um, hits of Mars to uh, Pluto uh, throughout the year may have this sort of volatility or power struggle element to it. And I think mm-hmm. that... Um, you know, with Mars being in this part of Libra, being like, okay, sometimes you have to like fight in a more, um, you know, abstract social way, more of like the, like the, oh, I'm going to form strategic alliances to kind of depose a ruler type, yes. type stuff. Um, it's, yeah. um, yeah, Pluto stationing direct in Capricorn. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of like a, Again, we'd said that Pluto is going to kind of do this back and forth between Capricorn and Aquarius. And Pluto really does it a big way. This go around back into Capricorn mm-hmm. with just everything happening in Libra this month. Um, October 12th, we get Mars entering Scorpio. So Mars really ends up becoming this lone wolf um, throughout like the second half of October, where uh-huh. it's the only planet not ruled by Venus and is in its own domicile. That first um, decan of Scorpio too, and that bound is Mars ruled. It's going to be a very, it's like, I think it's the strongest Mars and then gets triplicity. I think it's like the strongest Mars yeah. could potentially be. I mean, that's hilarious. It's like Mars is like, okay, I'm done playing this social game. Like, yeah. this is not this is not cool. Give everyone the finger and then really gives everyone the finger. Like, yeah. <laughs> And then that's just in time for on October 14th, there's a solar, solar eclipse in, in Libra. In the last part of Libra, squaring mm-hmm. Pluto. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that, um, I think a lot about how in order for power and control over resources to be maintained as, um, you know, Pluto and Capricorn is like want to promote, um, you kind of need some sort of consensus or agreement. And I do feel like there's an unraveling of like a key relationship or alliance during this time with that um, eclipse in Libra. Mercury is also unfortunately really close to the eclipse. So it's like caught up in it and but mercury's in that saturn decan of libra so it's like okay um maybe like in trying to make that sacrifice realizing that like to maintain cohesion or like consensus realizing it's not a it's not worth it and um that kind of um you know getting thrown out a little bit (laughs) 
Yeah, when we talked about that Aries eclipse in the spring, we talked a lot about whether, you know, people will be announcing presidential runs. And so I do wonder if this one in Libra, uh, you know, people are, it's way too early to announce vice presidential runs, but this is a time where it's like, oh yeah, key alliances really, really need to be made. Um, um, key staff need to be appointed if they haven't been already, right? Like, around, like who's going to manage your campaign? What, when their endorsements going to start coming in? Wait a second. Okay, you're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. Okay. So the GOP chart has a Uber rising. Ooh. And um, ever since the results of this particular midterm, there's been a lot of uh, talk about how to move forward in the Republican Party without Trump. And I know there's this desire to crown um, DeSantis as the new like face of what the Republican Party could look like because he had an admittedly sex- successful um, midterm run in um, Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, um, oh, you know who else has a Libra rising? What's mm-hmm. her face? Uh, Kirsten Cinema. Who, oh God! Um, just left the Democratic Party. Just left the Democratic Party, and I'm like, <laughs> not gonna lie, that was that was a boss move on her part. Um, yeah, I think so. I think it. it yeah, um, it cements her, but... her as like an influence, but I don't think it will pan out very well for her um, continued career in politics. Even though I don't necessarily think that's what she wants to do it looks like with her timing she's actually setting herself up to join the private sector so um i feel like watch whatever's going on with the gop and also kirsten cinema because like that's also like if you're going to run a lot of people would again in that summer pocket with the venus retrograde but as well as the fall people start announcing Mm -hmm. that they're going to run also wouldn't like you know debates and stuff start or is that like for the for the primaries uh or is that in the or is that in possibly the you know possibly because some primaries already start in spring 2024 that's true that's yeah. true fun <laughs> um that's the solar eclipse in libra and October yeah. i also think it's also like some rulers or um people in authority like walking away and stepping down um, whether it's like, you know, you in your own life or, you know, people, you know, that could also be like very much a thing. So. I could see that again, th- there's just so much emphasis on this is all happening in that third decade of Libra. A few days after that eclipse on October 19th, we have a uh, Mercury Cassini in Libra. Also on that and yeah, it's squaring a very stationed Pluto in Capricorn. And I, I think overall this month with just everything happening in Libra and that like they're ducking, um, it's it, to me, especially once this Mercury Kazemi happens, it really just screams like hard truths and hard truth. making some top tough choices. Yeah, um, it also could um, just because it's like, the purification of mercury and it's squaring pluto i would be i wouldn't be surprised if there are some important revelations about something which may mm-hmm. have actually been the real reason that you know maybe someone walked away from something right it's yeah like, what's the, it's like okay you gave us this what's the real reason right why'd you mm-hmm. actually do that um mm-hmm. so 
I could see that. Yeah. And then I could also see like maybe um again speaking to this um maybe like whistleblower energy. Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. around that. Because I do remember um some of that like late Libra um Pluto stuff um being tied into like maybe leaks of documents and things like that. It's making me think of the Supreme Court a lot. Um oh, yeah. as well. And I won't be surprised if maybe between that and you're going to laugh. So the t- two weeks after this eclipse slash Kazemi period, we get the lunar eclipse in Taurus. And it was actually um, under a Taurus moon, I think, that um, there was like a leak of the um, decision to overturn Roe. And I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if like in this span, um, you get that sort of um, revelation or exposure of those decisions and then during the Taurus eclipse that just you know becomes more obvious um yeah the last um eclipse we had in Taurus all prior to this one is was the midterm elections too right and then didn't the final Georgia runoff end up being yeah it was it was during the um another Taurus moon yeah and yeah this one that's happening in October 2023 is going to be at five degrees Taurus, which is very close to the moon's exaltation degree of mm-hmm. three degrees. Um, mm. This is all combined with a Mercury-Mars opposition to Jupiter. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think because like Mercury conjunct Mars again has that sort of like dissecting sort of energy. And I feel like say there was a revelation that came with um, the Mercury Kazemi squaring Pluto. Mars like going into Scorpio is just like, I want to find out. I need to get to the bottom of this. I need to like really do some digging. And I think that um, I feel like it might be exposing some of those elements related to Jupiter as well. Like, you know, the, okay, like, who has access to these commodities? How is this influence, you know, how they've been? Um, I know, say, like, you know, we've been talking a lot about how the justification for having billionaires or the billionaire class is that they're supposed to provide these sorts of public utilities for people where the government can't. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, where is this money really going? Where are these things really going? Who's really in control of these projects? Like, I think that... Um, that middle decan of Scorpio as well has connotations of like the struggle to control like a shared output. Right. And so mm-hmm. say we, there is like, you know, money approved for like some infrastructure or art project or something, you know, that's supposed to benefit people. But like, there's a lot of debate about how that's actually going to, um, you know, come about. And that could be a problem, especially because, both of these planets are still combust and Mars is becoming more combust as we move through Scorpio season, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I think is a good segue into November, actually. I think so. I think, I mean, just a one last quick note, even on this, inf- like so much of the infrastructure improvements are around again, it's just climate and electric vehicles. And, you know, one of the things that hasn't really been addressed, like all these, all this, all these subsidies and monies and, um, rebates are going toward these companies to again supposedly build like bring a common good and bring electric vehicles um for people to buy california and then now new york now have laws that they're going to stop the sale of um gas-powered vehicles by some you know different dates for different people like um those different states 
And yet there hasn't really been as much discussion on how are people going to afford these electric vehicles, um, especially right. with the rise of inflation and not rising incomes. Like how are, they're still very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah. Let's talk about November. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Saturn stationing direct is a good place to start because it's like literally stationing at the very beginning of Pisces, which is um, kind of intense. Um, yeah, November 4th on the same day that Mercury opposes Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So again, like, I think speaking to that desire for people to feel like they are being cared for by, you know, the societal structures they willingly or like unwillingly agree to, but happen to be a part of, um, really coming to the forefront, uh, I think is huge. I can see that. Oh, and Venus is also going to be opposing Neptune. Oof. at this time yeah <laughs> i mean i feel like venus being fallen and i think she's approaching max fall pretty quickly um mm-hmm. if not like already like there um yeah it speaks to a lot of disillusionment especially mm-hmm. around you know maybe the neptunian ideals being sold because neptune is in the part of pisces that has to do with you know that sort of collective sacrifice that needs to be made for maybe a greater good or like a new positive beginning. And maybe people are just not feeling that, especially because Venus is, I think it's funny that Venus is in a decan where she is um, in her maximum fall, but um, also one that she represents because it also thinks about the longevity of value and, Mm -hmm. you know, what's going to be valuable um, beyond like what exists currently and sometimes when you have to confront that um, it's not a comfortable place to be because people want gratification now right mm-hmm. they don't necessarily want to think about um, pleasures that they're not going to get to experience that's a very hard um, reality to reconcile and when you feel like you've been making all of these sacrifices um, you know, for this greater good that aren't really materializing only to find out that the things that you gave up for your, you know, for the collective benefit are probably not going to end up becoming reality anyway, I I would feel disappointed, you know? Yeah, that, those, those last seconds of the mutable signs do tend to, like, hard realities is a good way to um, define the, the tone of all those decans um but yeah i I agree with that with that venus um opposing neptune um yeah i venus does enter libra on november 8th so that's like a few days after it will be in domicile um so that is an improvement for Mm -hmm. libra um and i'm trying to think if there's just anything um yeah i think um i I guess i will say i think like overall it's it's kind of like it's not the worst month it's it's kind of like a little bit funky for the fixed signs but i i do think the venus and libra should be nice overall though it is (laughs) co-present with the south node yeah and i feel like that co-presence with the south node because i know a lot of people are like the south node takes things away but i also find that while taking away could mean loss it could also mean like the taking away of worry because I find that hunger satiety um, metaphors work really well with the nodes. Um, the North node is where you're hungry. 
the South Node is, you know, where you're kind of satiated because you're just kind of like, I've experienced all I need to experience. So you're just not as like attached to it. There's like a detachment. So I think that maybe some mm-hmm. sort of recovery of joy comes through detachment in some way um, as mm-hmm. Venus builds up to her um, conjunction with the South Node, which I think will peak in December or something. Um, actually, it's November 29th. So we do oh, get wow. it in November. And okay, wow. um, yeah, and as you're talking, it does make me think, you know, we just talked on October all about just um, all of these other planets get into Libra first in October, right? And Venus mm-hmm. is playing catch up because Venus has been retrograde. She's slowed down. Now she's just, you know, slowly catching up. So she's the last one to really kind of get into this mix yeah. and can join the South Node. So I, I think you're right. Like, I think it does feel like um mm-hmm. i think venus will kind of make maybe close this chapter a little bit um yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um i mean i feel like after that the month is kind of not slow but it just feels like there are things happening for sure so like mercury moves into sag um it will square saturn like literally the same day um mm-hmm. that could feel really rough for communication um because mars i sorry mercury square saturn can be very um diagnostic and cold in mm-hmm. articulating problems and mercury in sagittarius is very loud about things that are not working um especially mm-hmm. because it's in its own decan it's very loud and it will make a fuss about it and so i would say just watch for that <laughs> um i could see that um not too long after that, we get the new moon in Scorpio on November 13th. This will be our first non-eclipse Scorpio lunation, um, but it will also be conjoined and ruled by Mars, Mars. and oppo- opposing Uranus. And it's it's not really a breath of fresh air, unfortunately. <laughs> That's why I think anyway. Like I think it could echo some of these Mars-Uranus themes that we've gotten earlier in the year. But mm-hmm. again... There's no Saturn anymore. So also, it's not eclipsed anymore. Thank God. Yeah. Like, yes. I mean, yes. it's probably just going to feel like a regular, um, a regular day where you're just kind of upset about something rather yeah. than like, this has consequences for so many parts of my life. And like, this is just horrible. Right. And then they reverberate for like weeks because of these, just the way these eclipses work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sets us up for that really powerful Mars Kazemi and Scorpio. I mean, um, big cycle reset for Mars. Um, It's Mars in domicile. I mean, Mm -hmm. in its preferred domicile, actually. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. this just feels like, just thinking of the narratives of the last decade of Scorpio, um, which very much has, you know, what can I build on the ashes or of what is no longer? I think there's an important closure you get in maybe the Scorpio parts of your life. And I do feel like that new moon in Scorpio a few days before does feed into that because this is the first Mm -hmm. time we get to experience these sort of new beginnings in Scorpionic parts of our lives without it being an eclipse. Yeah, I wish I wish I looked a little bit more into what... um, happened on a mundane level during the last so the last time mar the mars Cassini happened in scorpio was november 8 1991 um the last mars Cassini overall we, we haven't had one since um it was in libra on october 8 2021 this is a very different vibe like you said this is a very very strong mars and its preferred domicile 
whereas the last time that we had a Mars Cassini, it was in Libra in detriment. Um, so, um, yeah, the last time we, we haven't had Mars, uh, a Mars Cassini in Scorpio since 1991. Um, Mars synodic cycle is a whole other thing that maybe we should do an episode on. It's like, it's yeah. a very chaotic cycle. <laughs> No, for sure. But I feel like this is, again, planting the seeds for things that will have implications for, you know, the Mars ruled parts of your life for the next like two years. Um, And I think that while Mars and the sun together can be like a very competitive um, energy, it's also one of great um, drive. And I feel like there's this element of with Mars no longer being caught up with eclipses, these lunations in Scorpio and soon to be Taurus will no longer be caught up with eclipses. Maybe there's an element to like recontrol a narrative in a certain part of your life related to Mars. And so it's like, okay, there's like a closure because it's in this last decade. Yeah. It's very decisive. It's like, okay. Um, which I'm, I'm like reflecting on my own chart and like, I'm just, I'm just like, okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for this moment. I need this. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This, this month, you know, toward like, as the month goes, we get more and more of this movement into Sagittarius, which then puts more emphasis on the mutable parts of the Mm -hmm. sky. Um, But, but yeah, aside from that, I don't really see too much more to highlight in November. Is there anything else you wanted to say? Um, I do just want to comment really quick, just with the movement of the sun and Mars into Sagittarius. Um, mm-hmm. It could be really obnoxious for um, just getting things started, especially if you made this decision to, of this final decision to move forward in a particular part of your life. Um, you know, Saturn just being like, okay, there's this other reality you were not paying attention to because like you were concerned with other things. And that just being annoying for like a few days. But again, because it's not really being hit by, I mean, Neptune is squaring by sign, but like it's so far away that mm-hmm. it's not really doing too much. So I, I feel like, again, this is another pocket of the year where it just feels like pretty regular. Like it's like, okay, regular annoyance. And it's not necessarily like earth shattering. <laughs> you know, I so there is something about Sag season that can really bring to that. Like everyone experiences this. Like it's this time of the year where it's it's just so hard to get work done in general because the holidays yeah. have already here. It's a slower, it's a slower times overall. So I could see it just being those kind of like everyday type annoyances. You know? Yes. Also, do not argue with family members <laughs> Thanksgiving about politics. Do not. It's just not gonna go well. Don't bother. Don't try. Like just pretend yeah. it's not happening. Like Mars literally. will be squaring Saturn. That's all you gotta repeat to yourself. And Jupiter ruled signs. Yeah. <laughs> While Jupiter is in Taurus, no one is changing their mind. Okay. Oh, like boy. let it go. Let it go. But yeah, we can like kind of get to December. Um Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. The last month of the year. So we are starting and ending the year with Mercury retrograde and Capricorn, though technically it really, really ends in Sagittarius, but the Mercury Mm -hmm. retrogrades um, started in Capricorn. Um, And uh, thus, yeah, although by the end of the month, it will be back in Sagittarius. um, And then this will kick off the 2024 Mercury retrogrades and fire signs. Yeah, I Um, mean... 
I feel like Mercury and Jupiter really dominate the month because yeah. um, you have all these planets moving into Jupiter ruled signs or being coming back to Jupiter in some way. Um, Mercury, again, stationing retrograde mid-month, um, being kind of huge. Uh, I will say that that new moon um, in Sagittarius to me, okay, so like Venus finally moves into Scorpio, which is kind of not fun, not great. I mean, but she is on access to Jupiter. And again, mm-hmm. I do think that um, with Venus, like kind of high-fiving Saturn, you know, December 5th, and then a few days later moving to oppose Jupiter, I think that maybe there will be these questions about how are these, you know, public works funded by people who are given a lot of resources really serving people. And I think mm-hmm. that maybe there's something about that story that comes to a head, especially as we move into the holiday season. Um and people are thinking more about that. I um, could see that, especially with like the month kicks off with like like Venus makes this square to again, it's like Pluto and Capricorn, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that happens December third, and then it goes into Scorpio and then does all these transits. Yeah. Um I think also just that new moon in Sagittarius, um, being so close to an opposition or sorry, a square with Neptune is mm-hmm. I think this is where we also start to see the prominence of Neptune as a transit in the mutable signs, especially as we move through 2024, 2025. I think we're starting to get really a preview of that. Um, Because as you'll see later in the month, Mercury will move to square Neptune, which will probably become more of this like, okay, like we're kind of, we have all these ideals, but like it's always getting in the way of, some sort of transition we're trying to facilitate in these different parts of our lives and that being a very stressful experience especially now that saturn is in pisces yeah so it's like how do we make any of this real (laughs) this 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 is a very mutable month it definitely sets the tone for 2024 as you said like the month starts with sun mercury and mars and sag squaring saturn and neptune and then it ends still yet with venus mercury retrograde and then mars squaring saturn and neptune yeah so um and i feel like because you know again saturn and neptune haven't meet i mean they won't form their conjunction until they both hit zero aries in 2026 but they're going to spend a lot of time on top of each other um Mm -hmm. as we move into 2024 2025 and we're getting set up with like i feel like at the beginning of the month with um these aspects to Neptune at the end of Pisces and then Saturn at the beginning of Pisces is like, how is our ideal not aligning with reality? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. those things needing to be reconciled, especially um, in this part of the year. So I also think it's funny that like, I think like two days before the new year starts, Jupiter stations direct on Taurus. <laughs> so, um, yes. With yes, Jupiter it ruling a lot, it's like, Oh, and they technically have mutual exchange or reception because Venus had just moved into Sag like literally the day before. So that's a good point about that's a good point about Jupiter. And Jupiter takes a while to station too, right? Because it is just like a like a slower moving planet. And it is all those planets I just mentioned in Sag and Pisces. Yeah, Jupiter rules all of that. Yeah, and you'll have Venus and Jupiter trying to, like, co-sign each other's BS at the end of the year. But again, they they don't have that Ptolemaic aspect to one another. So it's just, 
while they are inadvertently like working towards similar aims it's like kind of hard to get the details like in a to work in a cohesive manner because again there isn't that sight between them it's what you know off, astrologers often I, I don't know who originally coined this but astrologers often say that planets that are in mutual reception but are um in aversion to each other or planets um this this also applies to planets that actually no never mind this does not apply in this case but planets that are in detriment or fall and in mutual reception it's like two drunk friends trying to like take care of each other and um, (laughs) and it works out but like the it takes a lot longer to achieve anything useful um because you know there is that lack of constructive relationship between the two planets and so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're like literally like they can't see each other yeah um which is, you know, not dissimilar to being drunk sometimes, where you could see, but you know, what are you? Are you really? Where are we clearly? really going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I feel like if we had to sum up twenty twenty three, I feel like a lot of the drama is literally in the middle of the year, um, and then you know we close out some cycles in October, November, as we start setting ourselves up for a new, more mutable. Um, chapter I'm ready for a mutable chapter personally (laughs) Um, I'm just it's been hard for us fixed signs as someone with fixed and mutable placements uh, whatever I mean I'm I'm you know what I'm also ready for a change because I feel like with all of this like stuff going on in the um, fixed signs there's just been too much that's been um maybe permanently disrupted. And I think with this new found mutable emphasis, it's the struggle to figure out, you know, what parts are we going to try salvaging and, you know, are they worth salvaging before we try to initiate something new altogether? So. Yeah. And flexibility around, you know, like we'll try new things, but not be like maybe super like, like balls to the wall about it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it depends on the transit, but yeah, no, 2023 is very different from the last few years that we've had. And um, I mean, it. I'm pretty agnostic about it, but I feel like, I mean, not to like trivialize, you know, the, the like the word trauma, because I know it gets thrown around a lot. I do feel like some of these mutable transits, especially when, you know, Mars is configured to Saturn and Pisces is going to be, you know, that struggle to really... Um, acknowledge and accept that the worst is over and Mm -hmm. um i do feel like some of these like fixed transits may take us back to that but like the mutable transits kind of reminding you that this is kind of a new thing um it's okay to let go right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, this sets us up for a really interesting 2024 which as you said is going to be so mutable dominated we'll have the eclipses fully in the cardinal signs which will give again the fixed signs a little bit of a break yeah yeah. um but yeah i mean it was a joy to you know finally talk about a year that's very different uh i don't know about you pal but that's how i feel oh i yeah it's absolutely how i feel i was very excited about recording this and we kept it we didn't keep it under three but we did keep it under three hours and 30 minutes yes good job to us (laughs) yeah um 
I mean, with that, best of luck in 2023. I mean, if you made it through 2020, like, you're gold. You can get through anything. So, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Good luck this year. Take care.